I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. <laughs> You are now listening to the Interview Our Podcast. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and today I'm joined with John by John Oaks. John, my good friend, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. Yes, I'm so excited, John. Um, so, I, one of the you're I consider you one of the sages of virtual reality. Uh, <laughs> one of those people, one of the oracles I go to when I seek advice, when I seek wisdom. When I when I when I look for answers to life's questions, I, I go to John Oaks, and th- in this podcast specifically, I'm looking t- forward to just dropping some bomb ass knowledge on fools, just letting <laughs> them know what the fuck is up with virtual reality, flipping their lives over and up and down again. I don't even know I don't even know what I'm saying, but I'm excited because you have so much knowledge that I think people should really be aware of. Um, and let's start, let's start a little bit. Just, let's start with the juicy stuff. Let's, ju- let's start, let's just get right, right into it. Like, what is the biggest mistake VR startups make, you know, uh, and, 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 and maybe you can give me sort of like a, a, a timeline, you know, maybe, maybe VR startups, the biggest mistake VR startups used to make and what, what the VR, what the biggest mistakes VR startups make now, um, Mm. What are your thoughts there? Well, um, I, the biggest mistake, that's, that's so, that's challenging, but there's lots of mistakes. I guess that's the thing. There's, um, is, if there's one big mistake, it's, it's people not understanding all of the various deadly mistakes they can make because <laughs> it's dangerous. It's dangerous to be a VR, an indie VR startup these days, um, but I think the biggest mistake is the field of dreams mistake, which is if if you build it, they will come. Like if you build an amazing experience, the audience will find you. Um, we've talked a little bit about this before, and you know uh, when we weren't recording. But you know the idea that you can just put a title out there as good as it can be, that it's going to find an audience on its own just by existing and being out there, is wrong. Um, it doesn't matter how good your title is. It, people won't find it. They won't try it. And um, that's, a, that's a big one. The other one is, and this is a tough one, but I think too many developer teams right now, because they're, they're dependent on investment who, and people who, want inve- who people who are investing want big hits. You know, they want millions of sales, millions of units of sales. And so they tend to try to create things that please everybody um, and end up pleasing nobody. They end up kind of being the same. And, uh, you know, if you get on Steam, Oculus Connect, people kind of were griping about this a little bit at Oculus Connect and all the demos were shooters, you know, mostly. And there's some variation of shooters. There wasn't anything crazily creative or novel that that people were really gravitating towards and um so i think you know there's not there's certain patterns and and approaches that people are taking in vr because they're safe and in my opinion this isn't the time to be safe uh i think it's time to like you you know you can i think there is a an opportunity for developers to find an audience um find a niche 
and serve that niche really well and build a passionate following and build from there. And I think it's just, you know, you might as well buy a Powerball lottery ticket if you're going to try to, like, push out a game, you know, with maybe only six months or a year of work on it and expect it to be a big hit. You know, Beat Saber was a big hit, but they worked on it a while and they did a lot of things right to get that out the door and get a critical mass and get following and all that. Um, but I can't think of many other examples that are, that are taken off like that. So to, to put a, put a period on the biggest mistake I think is, um, trying to please, trying to do something that has mass market appeal when there is no mass market and, um, and, and assuming that just by building something good that an audience is going to find it. Those two things. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I, I have a lot of questions now to branch off into, and one of them being is um, it used to – I'm under the impression that, it, that when in the earlier couple years of VR, uh, this inception, this wave of VR – like 2013, 2014, 2000, early 2015, like I think there was a lot of like experimentalism. A lot of people were figuring out, you know, what was working, what wasn't. And like I remember like one of the experiences that like blew me away early on was Dumpy Goes Elephants. Yeah. And it was just super, super simple, but it was just like the way the world it, it immersed you in and you were like this and you were su using the super simple mechanic, but it was satisfying and it was really like it just it left a big mark. It left a big impression on me. And those sort of, you know, creative um, ways to like squeeze the potential out of VR, it, it just seems like um, I don't know I, what happened. How, how, did, when did things change? Have things changed? Dude, I don't know. What are you yeah, noticing? yeah, they, they totally have. I I'm gonna I'm gonna in, indulge in a little bit of hyperbole that when Oculus took down Oculus Share, it was like burning the Library of Ang Alexandria. Man, I mean, there was so much really good, innovative. Oh, Oculus stuff Share on... went down. When? Holy shit! O the the old you know the old yes. site where everybody could just upload their demos and. And all that, I just remember one day, no announcement that I knew of. It just went down. It was gone. There's a there's a grassroots project in the works where people are trying to piece it back together. You know, get on the Internet Archive and pull the binaries down and all that. But um, that was a great environment. And yeah. you know, Oculus had their reasons, I, and and they're probably really valid reasons for doing it. It's just too bad. It's just a loss um, because that was a place where people could put up really and there's other sites now too but nothing was like oculus share i mean um people could just create a wild and crazy um demo or game it didn't have to be a full experience just be a mechanic it could be one scene put it up there get feedback and people were jumping in um to help out and give feedback and criticize and rate it was great i don't know you know to be fair that was uh what three four years ago now um Maybe it wouldn't have scaled up, and we would be um, in a. It would just be a huge mess of garbage. But back then, it was great. So I wish there was something like that now for experimentation. Um, and sadly, for some reason, you know, Steam, even though they've kind of opened up their publishing rules, the stuff we're getting is just. Uh, I don't know. We need we need some explorers in there. Maybe to, maybe they're in there. Maybe those unique experiences are buried in there. And we need somebody to go in there and find them and blog about them or something. But I, I usually end up being pretty disappointed with what I see. So, 
yeah. yeah. The amount of time it takes to review each and every piece of VR content that comes out, it's um, it's, it's yeah. impossible. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. It's huh. so there is no Oculus Share equivalent as we speak of right now. Um, there's a few sites that are, you know, kind of alternative publishing sites where you can put your things and off the top of my head, I'm blanking, but they're out there if you Google them. But I'm just saying like that window of time where people were just kind of the, the forms and the interaction pieces were, weren't settled. So people kind of made up their own stuff. Um, I mean, I, I project I was working on with Jacob and, and Tucker back in the day, we, we're using the mouse and the keyboard to manipulate an elephant trunk. You're talking about dumping. We had an elephant game where there was a trunk, and yeah. the trunk came out of your nose. And that's how you, because it was before touch controllers and before Vive. So we were trying to figure out how you interact with this virtual environment. And we give people a trunk. And it was weird, but it worked. And stuff like that is, is gone. And part of that, I think, is because now we do have touch controllers and the form factors are kind of set to, you know, standing, sitting, and room scale. And now we have, you know, location base where people are putting on backpacks and running around. Those are kind of the form factors that people are embracing. But I think there's even, I think there's more to, more work to be done. And maybe it's just, uh, it'll just take time and people will kind of start getting artistic. Um, uh, what's his name? Lucas, uh, I really like what Lucas uh, Rosada, what's his name? Uh, da, 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 da. He did um, Where Dreams Go. I think, uh, hold on one second. I'm looking up. So I'm just having a, no worries. I'm, I'm curious. Lucas, Lucas, uh, I'm so embarrassed. Risotto. <laughs> um, yeah, he's a cool dude. Um, he's made some really cool experiences, very artistic. Um, kind of like, you know, in a way that Danny Bittman's really, uh, into the, like the art and like the, the embodied, um, art pieces. Mm hmm. Lucas is kind of, in my mind, kind of in the same mindset, but more on the interactive side. Like, he has these, this demo where you, or not a demo, an app, where you can go in and, like, just record a little voice message and put it in the virtual reality, and then somebody else, you don't even know who, is going to come find it. It's like a message in a bottle kind of thing. Um, he's done some other really good, where thoughts go. That's where, that's what it's called. I had to get on his Facebook page. So, yeah, I should definitely uh, check out where thoughts go. It's kind of a good... Um, crazy application of vr that's really compelling and i know there's others out there nice you know i want to go back to um something you said earlier and something that stood out was the idea of the field of dreams and how there seems to be a difficulty in striking with founders and figuring out how to strike that right balance between product product development and marketing like exactly like yeah you can build the thing but like what about the perceptions of the people around the thing and what you know do they do they do they feel like they want the thing do they feel like they need the thing like do they not care for it do they even are they even aware it exists like that it seems like um you know with good reason a lot of um founding teams are engineering heavy which is again that's good with good reason because you have to build something right like you have a you have to have an mvp but like but a lot of times I, I notice that um, there is uh, it, it sort of it skews away or there's a there's not enough emphasis on yeah again the marketing and the and and how do you how do you distribute you know this this your your product now that it's out and so yeah how uh, how how do you think you know VR startups should try to approach this this conundrum. 
Well, I mean, so much of what happens is people build their apps, especially in the games. Like, in the games, it's a little bit different, but, like, people build things with the expectation that that others are going to find the same sense of joy and value that they have in creating it in, uh, just by witnessing it. And that's not the case, man. I mean, like, um, people don't, you have to solve a problem for people. If, and the problem is either going to be, if it's a game, it's like, I have a problem in that I'm not having fun and you have to be the most fun thing I can have for my dollar that, that I'm aware of, right? If you're a game. Or, and I have to hear about it and want to participate in the fun that I see other people having. And that was kind of, in a nutshell, that's Beat Saber's secret. They showed people in mixed reality having a blast, doing something cool that made everybody go, ooh, I want to do that. And that created the demand and kind of the, the snowball effect. If you don't have something like that, some kind of gravitational pull into your your game, that that's a deal breaker. No amount of... Um, you know, Steam, Storefront, whatever is gonna is gonna help you there. And on the other side, on the application side, or maybe the enterprise side, or the the or the application focused area is people were building really complex data visualization and interaction solutions without ever talking to a customer, and that just blows me away because the customer is the one you got to find at least one enterprise customer that wants to buy what you're you're making. Otherwise. You're never, it's going to be a hard sell. I mean, it's re- I think it's really hard to go in cold to an enterprise sale with a VR app that says, "Yeah, we built this whole thing. We want you to buy it because they're going to want to they're going to want to own it or they're going to modify it or something." And it's it's going to it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you if you don't have your understand the specific need that you're addressing and the specific price point you're trying to hit and the specific way you're going to support it and grow your audience. Um, so anyway, yeah, it seems like, and it seems like, well, if you, if you go after enterprise customers, if you're create, creating something that's like a VR product that's for enterprise, like, well, how do you, how do you get that feedback from that audience in the first place? Like, how do you figure out like, all right, well, it seems like, you know, they're the hive mind is pointing me in this particular direction. Like I know for, I know some strategies where, where like in, in the consumer sector, like you start a Discord, you 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 know you give away free stuff, like you you like you 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 do community building to like figure out and through the hive mind like where your product has like stickiness. Where do you where how do you how do you keep getting people to come back? But like, but on enterprise, I'm not clear what that looks like in specifically in VR. Like, is it something where it's like you have to already have the networks developed going into it? Is it something where like I, well, you know, I was always a former oil industry person, and now I'm gonna start a VR startup with my oil connections. I'm gonna like get in the you know, visualization industry somehow. Like, what do you think there? Sure. Well, the enterprise, there's you know entire shelves of books that have been written on written on how to sell the enterprise and why, but they all kind of boil down to this, which is if you can deliver a solution that helps that business either make more money, reach new audiences. Or have you know deliver some kind of operational benefit that's more than their best alternative to that solution? You're probably going to win, barring other political factors. You know, if it's a fair competition, um, you're 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 going to win. So you so the VR solution that you're selling into the enterprise 
or to a developer team or to an IT team or to a marketing team has to deliver some clear ROI. So if you're going to charge them $20,000 for a project, they kind of have to have a reasonable expectation that they're going to generate $50,000 at least um, and probably more on a recurring basis to make that investment because they probably have other ways they can spend that $20,000 to get similar results. So it's not that your software isn't worth 20000 or 10000 or whatever you're selling it for, 50000 It's that you have to be better than the next best competition that is less risk. Because right now, VR is hot in the enterprise, but it's still a risky play because it's a new paradigm. It requires new equipment, new training, new new understanding, and um, so you're, you're battling that versus all the traditional data visualization and design tools that are already out there that are kind of known quantities. Um, so, you know, for the enterprise sale, the number one thing you need to be really dialed in on is what is the return on investment that you're, you're going for, that you're delivering, and how can you, and you can claim it, how can you prove it? You know, what are the what are the metrics that your customer is going to evaluate you on? And it's such a broad topic, but if it was a design product, it would be, you know, how much can you shrink your design window? If it was a data visualization product, it could be how much, you know, how many more decimal points can you add to the certainty of your predictions that the data visualization is giving you? You know, those sorts of things. You need to get it down to a quantifiable ROI and then be able to deliver that to an executive and show that within a short time frame, you're going to have an investment, a ramp-up time, and then by the end of that production time, there's going to be more money in the bank than they had before. And it's going to have to be better than anything else that's out there. So it has to be better in VR than 2D. Wow. Do you Can you name any specific companies that have done this successfully? Like, like I don't want to call people out who are like not who are fucking up, but people who are like doing good stuff. Like, yeah, it, it yeah, it's who are they? Like, what are they? What are they? What are what are well, they doing that that's that's right? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, because I have to think about what I know that I can talk about and what I know that I can't talk about. <laughs> um, well, the one that was in the news lately was I thought was interesting that we all read about. Um, was Striver selling to Walmart. And I don't know the technical details of that sale, but clearly they, you know, Walmart is a numbers-driven company, man. I mean, however you feel about Walmart, and there's a lot of people that have strong opinions about them for good reason, it's pretty clear that they know how to operate a business at a very efficient level, right? So they, they saw that there was an advantage to doing training in VR across a lot of their stores are getting like 17,000 headsets to do this training because they have like a million employees Hmm. and they saw some ROI and I guarantee you they did a test and saw some positive engagement, probably maybe taking advantage a little bit of the novelty of VR that their, their, their employees were excited about it, but that's okay. I mean, that's part of it is getting people engaged with the training program. So I think that'll be really successful and that'll open up a lot of opportunities for similar applications um, in retail, but with other kinds of training and customer interaction, um, and I, you know, I think um, when a company like Walmart makes a move, I think everybody pays attention, 
And so I think that now enterprise sales reps all over the country can use that as like, well, you know, Walmart's using it for training. Why aren't you? So Cisco has to pay attention to that. And Intel has to pay attention to that. And Amazon has to pay attention to that. And, you know, Macy's and Nordstrom's and all these guys have to pay attention to that now because um, they don't want to be, you know, as, as resistant as they are to change, they don't want to be left behind. <laughs> so if you can if you can bust through and and make somebody make that change and be loud about it like the way they did, and I think they did a great job of promoting that deal, um, it's going to make everybody else in the industry keep an eye on that. And if it looks like it's successful – then they're going to follow really quickly. So now, you know, I guess we've got to make sure that these guys hopefully deliver a solid product with a solid ROI or it's going to really hurt enterprise VR potentially. But um, but I think they'll do fine. Yeah. What do you think is the most underrated marketing channel that VR startups are not looking at to, you know, get the word out and create traction for themselves? Like, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. The marketing channel that's most underrated. Well, I think individual converting individual fans. Like I said earlier on, um, I think everybody is really focused now on trying to win mass market appeal, but that's kind of consumer level, right? It's not winning advocacy. Um, you know, like... I'm a big so for example I'm a big fan of Sculpt VR which is like this voxel based sculpting I'm not an artist but it's pretty powerful but like I met the developer and and he kind of won me over with his enthusiasm his passion for the product and showed me what he's doing he's super supportive of it so I every time they do anything on Twitter or anything like that I I'm resharing it and I'm posting what other people are making and I I don't know if it's doing any good form or not but but he kind of won me over as a fan and I think so many companies don't pay attention to they they want to have a community they talk about community manager but they don't really invest they don't find they don't win people over one by one and winning over those evangelists is super important and and it really is i mean like studies have shown there's like the way movements get started no movement goes from one person saying hey everybody turn left and everybody turns left <laughs> that's not how it's it's we're we're human beings we're social animals we we generally are sheep <laughs> you know unfortunately the way our behaviors are it's like if somebody asks you to do something you're going to ignore it you're going to completely ignore it especially if it's going against the grain but if you start seeing individuals that you respect or people that you know about go in a certain direction and only takes 8% of a, of a population to change the direction of the population. So there's this idea of the leader and the first follower. And I wish I could remember the title. There's a cool YouTube video that they kind of broke this down of this guy at a concert just gets up and starts dancing, kind of mm -hmm. just freak, freak dancing, you know, just having a good time. Nobody else is dancing. Everyone is sitting down. But then out of the blue comes this other guy who's like his lieutenant. And he doesn't, they're not together or anything. The other guy just goes, that looks like a good idea. I'm doing it. And he, you know, greets him and they kind of like celebrate. Yeah, we're dancing. And then they start dancing. Now, now there's two people dancing and now it gives permission for that third person to come in. And before you know it, they got the whole area dancing, right? And that's a silly example, but it's also exactly how 
fandom works, right? That's There's... literally something that happened to me in real life in Tokyo once when I was celebrating my birthday in Shibuya. I was sitting in the back of, of the at the bar while like no one was dancing on the dance floor. And me and my friend Dave were just like staring at this empty dance floor drunk. And I like turned to Dave and I told him, Dave, I got to go dance. And I went there. <laughs> And I started just like just wiggling and like doing all sorts of contortions with my body that made no sense. But like, you know, that there that I think it like people noticed. And at one point, like um, like a, a gang of Japanese dudes showed out out of the crowd. And it felt like um, I it's it seemed like their intent seemed vague and I was a little nervous. But then. Out of nowhere, they spread their arms out and they go, hey, and they're like, embrace me in hugs and start dancing around me in circles. And it was <laughs> some of the most amazing experience. It, it was it was perhaps one of, the, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And, 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 then, and then just people started flooding the dance floor after that. Um, so what a night I lost my passport that night, but you know, that's a whole nother story. It was, it was a great. whole nother podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, especially if, cause you know, my heart is always with the Indies. It's, it's that don't, don't try to hunt the whale right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, we all want the whale, right? We want that big viral success, but find one person who's not your family and not your really good friend who sincerely loves your product and pay attention to them and get them to start talking about it. So if I had a new development tool or enterprise tool or whatever, I would I would demo to the world, obviously. I would be out there beating the bushes. But when you found somebody who goes, yeah, I love this, okay, that's your customer. Before they even buy it, that's your customer. They love it. They're engaged. Grab onto them. Give them what they need. Get them to talk about it. Make them successful using your product. Whether even if it's a game, make them successful playing your game so that they'll talk about how much fun it is, mm-hmm. and they will get you another person. And it's going to seem really slow, but that other person now you have two people, they're going to attract a third, and then you know it's going to start to snowball. And I think that's that's the seizure success. And frankly, that's what Oculus is missing right now. We're, I know we were talking about this another time too, but um, you know everyone's swinging for the fences with trying to get to a billion users, and I think the secret is getting one user that's passionate and then getting another user that's passionate and planting those seeds. It seems like it grows really slow, but community, you know, I'm going off here, but Minecraft, you know, Notch published mm-hmm. Minecraft how many years ago now? Wasn't a great thing out of the gate, but he found a little community that loved it. And just from that little seed, now it's just huge, you know, he sold it for $2 billion and there's how many millions of users and it's still, still going. Um, it, it wasn't a it wasn't an instant hit, so we we kind of went off there. But but basically, I mean, I think the marketing channel that gets that gets neglected is the individual is yeah. winning over a single person that you have a relationship with that's that then helps you build the base of your community and the tone for your product and the quality feedback that you can't do yourself. It's the hard, cringy work that matters. The the where, the one where you have to get in there and have like one to one conversations with people, and you're gonna get rejected sometimes. It's gonna feel yeah. weird, but other times the people are gonna love it, and that's gonna feel weird too. So you know, you just gotta yeah. sort of go with it. But but you have to do that kind of work. 
that's the thing. Like, you have to get in there and, like, you know, actually engage with people. And I think, I don't know, and I think that's the more and more I uh, I realize that, I see that there's um, such an open opportunity for, like, uh, uh, for humans to be able to continue to have jobs that won't get automated. <laughs> like, there are nuances about, like, spreading traction with companies and like getting the word out that like it's hard i i can't imagine how like uh or actually who knows you know i could be training the ai as we speak so holy <laughs> yeah God, I don't know what I'm no, right. yeah all right yeah. so let me ask you this um because it seems like everyone wants to be like magically everyone wants to be that oculus without doing the hard work you know i i do not want to be like magic leap <laughs> I'm on, I'm on the I'm on the magically pay train. <laughs> tell me more about the, the exp, express enlighten me. What what are tell me more about this magically pay train and 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 perhaps I can uh, yeah it a little bit. Um. So I let's see. I have so many good friends that are in love with it right now. It's like this this honeymoon, but like um. It's it's multi layered, but I think they've made because they had so much money, they've made such a splash in the AR community, and even so far as like basically pulling you know VR people into their orbit um, with a, a you know a, a pretty good show that they did a couple weeks ago. Um, the device looks pretty okay. It's a little bulky, pretty limited, but. And, you know, they're saying a lot of the right things, but I just, I don't feel like the market will support a moonshot like that at this time with the way they're doing it, which is the, you know, the full stack all the way up to the the hardware and that they'll be able to produce it at a price point that the consumers will adjust, will accept. And what my concern is, and reason I am kind of mad at them, I guess, and I could be wrong, but if they don't pull this off, so if if I'm right, it's a disaster because it's going to leave a two and a half billion dollar crater in the middle of the industry. Um, if they run out of money or can't raise more money or can't secure, because now they have a lot of overhead, they got to I got to imagine a pretty significant burn rate. Can they get to production of a consumer product that has consumer apps? at a consumer price point or are they going to be in the enterprise space? Are they going to like get to that point where it's a business and not just a speculative investment play? And it's such a large number. I just, I don't know, man, I'm not, I'm not convinced. I'm, I'm, I'm too worried. It's like too much of a risk for the industry for me to support them, which makes me part of the problem as well because then people hear me be negative and they may not support them as much. I don't know. It's a weird place to be, but I just, there's something that just rubs me the wrong way. Um, like right now I got my Facebook stream, stream up and I got tip attack and Kathy Hackle and Charlie Fink all, and other people all showing their magic leap classes. And that's cool. I mean, I love new tech. I love new toys and I don't begrudge them a bit for enjoying it. I, I tried a demo. I thought it was okay, but I feel like, it's sucking away a huge amount of resources from other things that will probably be a better use of time in the long run than chasing magic leap. Hmm. Just, Just my opinion. If I, if I was, if I was going there, I, I think I, 
I would not want to build a business around Magic Leap. And I have people, I have good friends who will like yell at me for saying that. And, you know, they have good arguments and I don't think either of us can say for sure who's right. It's just, this is my opinion. And, you know, what someone told me uh, a little while ago that like, um, that the fact that Magic Leap had raised that much money, the, that $2.5 billion, had uh, had made it so that the proverbial funding well dried up for other smaller startups. Oh, yeah. Startups, yeah, AI startups yeah. that wanted funding. Absolutely. I mean, and, the, the, and so they, they, yeah, they were struggling. They were like, yeah, like, <laughs> you know, if, if, if it weren't for Magic Leap, then, you know, we they would have. They hurt cats. Yeah. I think in a way, I mean, you know, Magic Leap did what they, you know, they're running a business from their own point of view, so I don't blame them for any of this. Honestly, I don't. But I think they killed Cast AR. They, I think they really hurt Meta. I think they they uh, strangled out a lot of smaller startups that were looking for funding. It sounded like they were too close to Magic Leap. And, you know, that's a strategy. That is a strategy there. And I think their investors knew that, is that there was going to be a lot of upstart technology and frankly the same thing happened when facebook bought oculus it sucked a lot of oxygen out of the room for investment because who's going to go up against facebook no you know hmm. well valve will <laughs> and htc will and that's about it you know and then microsoft kind of stuck their toe in the water and it really feels like they're pulling back so um are they is, is microsoft really pulling back for mixed reality stuff i don't it feels that way i mean they're I I, they're not as aggressive as I wish they were. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. I mean, I think they're I think they're they're more focused on Hololens too than their MR headsets. I mean, they're they're dirt cheap, man. So I don't know if that's and I don't and I don't get the sense that that's a market dominance play on their part. I have a it feels like they're trying to dump inventory. So um, I don't know. They're good headsets. I think they did a good job. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody who, all the OEMs that came out with that, it's perfectly fine. Um, I use mine all the time for, you know, you saw me when we were working on a project together. It's yeah. an easy thing to throw in the backpack and get going. It's not the most premium VR experience, but it's good enough. But maybe we're just not there yet. Maybe we're, we're not in a place where there's a market for kind of okay VR. It's either got to be really good or really mobile. And maybe maybe that middle market wasn't there yet for the masses where people who were into VR wanted either the really high-end Rift or Vive experience and that wasn't able to deliver that. I don't know. Interesting. So do you think do you think that's maybe that's where Oculus Quest fills in that void like like it'll be like um you know I don't know. I I I wonder uh, for me personally like like um but this is my experience because i am i spend way too much time thinking about virtual reality i and, and i'm one of those people that are like that 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 is just you know one of the like true believers and i and and so it's like for me at this point the things that matter to me as a as a as a user as a as a as a person who uses vr it's like they're not the same things that i think um the Oculus Quest is prioritizing because I want full body tracking and I want eye tracking and I want voice and I want like a vestibular, my vestibular system simulated. I want all of it. Yeah. 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 Kegel muscle integration. I want all of it. And it's like, (laughs) 
and, and it's like to take a step backwards so that we can, you know, uh, provide uh, access to the masses. Like, I like the concept of that. And I'm not against that. And I hope it succeeds. But why can't we have both? Oh, well, I, I will tell you that in a weird way, I'm sort of optimistic about where that all is headed because it does, although, you know, they put out a statement saying that they haven't backed off Rift 2, Oculus, with Brendan leaving, um, there's a, I don't, I don't read, I don't read that in as any kind of failure on Brendan's part. I read that in as like his stock vested. He's, he did fantastic. He took a Kickstarter and sold it for two or three billion dollars and managed a product launch. I mean, that's, that's a good career right there. Most people don't have that much success in a lifetime. <clears throat> and, you know, I think that the, the VR headset is getting to be a really highly technical, very detailed engineering device. Far cry from the DK1 Rift, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, We've we've gone from a biplane to a fighter jet in five years in terms of complexity of systems, um, I think. And where they want to go is even more complicated. Um, I think the Quest, given where Facebook being the mothership wants to go to a billion users, I think they recognize, and I think rightly so, they're not going to get there with PC-based VR by itself. The, the weird people like you and me who want the full... You know, body tracking, you know, super high res screens with with like complete immersion capabilities are the equivalent of the elite gamers today. You know, we that have like the five thousand dollar PC rigs with the neon lights in the case and all that stuff. Um, I think the Quest is potentially going to be groundbreaking in terms of consumer adoption because it solves the six degrees of freedom problem at a price point that people can swallow. Um, did you get the, Oh, you didn't get to try it. You didn't come down. Okay. What was it? Did you get, you, uh, you, you had to try it. Of course. Briefly. I didn't get to do the, I didn't get to do the, the arena battle, but yeah, it's how good. Does it I compare? mean, like how does it compare to like windows mixed reality or the rift one and even the vibe? Well, okay. Screen wise, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I didn't I didn't get enough time to really say. Hmm. Screen is screen is fine. Let's just say that. It's fine. Um the tracking seems really good and I'm sure it's going to get a lot better even because it's all software at this point. Um and I love the ability that I would and I didn't get to do this but you know, they demoed it. I love the ability that I'm going to be able to be in my house and retexture my house and have, you know, basically a virtual environment of my physical environment and, and interact with it that way. I think that's kind of a really good way of doing deep augmented reality as well is using pass through cameras and mapping the the textures and doing all that rather than just looking through and having a projection of digital environment, just put a screen in front of your face, put video, a stereoscopic video feed in and, and put graphics on top of it. I don't, I think that's an easier way to go for AR and, probably better in some ways but um but anyway so i think it's going to be successful and i think the i think valve and i guess htc and maybe their other partners are going to keep pushing on the hardware side for the the high-end gamer side of things so 
obviously the question is where does the ultra high end go? I think the ultra high end is going to start emerging with these littler companies like Pimax, Pimax, maybe Star VR, or are they still called that now? But the other headsets or the the um, the guys in Finland who just raised like fifteen million dollars to Var- do Vario, Varjo, or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think for the super high end. I think there's going to be some fun times ahead if you can afford it. <clears throat> and, you know, new haptic suits are being developed. And I think the saving grace is, honestly, it's SteamVR. And and nothing against Oculus, but just SteamVR is more open. You, there's They support a lot more HMDs, and they'll probably be willing to support, or it's easy to add support for these third-party apps and these third-party suits and devices and all that. Um Whereas yeah. Oculus is a more curated environment, and that's all fine and good. But I just think, like, the wild and crazy VR side of things, that's that, you know, the 1% of the 1% of the population is going to be kind of more on the the Valve side or the custom side. And Oculus is going to be really closer to the Apple Macintosh kind of environment. Of It's curated. It's locked in. It's a really good experience, but you can only do what they really want you to do. Um and I think Quest is going to – Quest, if we're really, really lucky, could be the – not the iPhone moment, but the iPod moment. The the point where – because there was a lot of MP3 players before the iPod came out, mm-hmm. but then the iPod came out and kind of set the standard for how MP3 players work and how people expected to use them and, and kind of became something familiar that people had with them. And so I think it's possible that, like right now we have Gear VR and we've got Daydream and we've got Windows Mixed Reality, we've got Cardboard. Those are all not that great, right? And you don't see people carrying them around for casual use, maybe on an airplane. Um, But I think the Quest might actually be something that people will take to school, take to work, take to their friends' houses, go out to the park and play around you know, do something outside with it if it works outside. Um, so I think it could be a turning point for consumer VR in terms of familiarity and acceptance. And then that opens up the floodgates for people wanting a better and better experience. So I think it could be a really good thing. Um, I think the Oculus Go kind of started to do that. And I don't know how it's still selling, but I think the Quest is going to be so much more superior to Go in terms of how you can use it. And the Vive Focus too, although Vive Focus it needs, you know, they got to market it more and do some stuff there. But um, I think those kind of those those Oculus Quest probably has the best chance of gaining mass consumer accept, acceptance of anything that I know about. Yeah, it seems like standalone headsets are a trend. Um, yeah, yeah. And here's the thing. Oh, back to my Magic Leap point. If mm-hmm. you have an Oculus Quest. Why do you need Magic Leap? I'm serious. Because they don't have light fields. They talk about light fields. They don't have light fields. They have waveguides. They have two planes. It's good. It's, you know, it's interesting. But for $3,000, I could have eight, almost seven, almost eight Oculus Quests and do, as far as I can tell, almost all the same stuff. Hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't get where... Magic Leap is going. I know where Quest is going, and I think it's a pretty good direction. 
Oh. So, uh, what about Hololens then? Like, do you where do you see? Do you think Hololens and Magic League are headed in the same direction, or like? Yeah, no. Well, hmm, yeah. Holo- well, I don't know about Hololens too. I don't honestly. I don't know much about it. Yeah. Um, I know it's coming. I know people who are were, who have heard more about it think it's going to be amazing, but I don't know. But I, I do. Th- I do think it'll be big for enterprise work because um, that's what they're building it for, and they're listening to their customers, and they're building it based on customer feedback of the HoloLens 1, which is exactly what they should do. So I have a feeling it's going to be pretty good, and um, it's going to have its its markets, um, and Microsoft is going to pump it into the enterprise like nobody's business, and it'll be interesting. Yeah, where do you... Have you gotten any sort of feedback, or have you? What have you heard about, like, um, what developers think about uh, where the market is? You know, there where there is going to be. Do they see Quest effect, affecting their bottom line because they gotta like figure out the mechanics for the Quest specifically, or is it, or is it, or is it because, or are they not worried because you know it should be Rift compatible, so it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, I wonder, like, and then where, and then Steam VR, like, how is Steam VR keeping developers happy? Also, like, you know, like these are questions I wonder. Like, how, what are these platforms doing to court developers? You know, like, like putting time in and like creating content for a platform is really, really valuable. And and uh, and I just wonder, like, which platform out of the two? big ones because fuck viport is um well <laughs> oh, man poor viport <laughs> i'm just kidding i know um, people who work on that and i don't know what's <laughs> going on but it yeah it is so broken i'm just like yes i, I apologize viport good luck out there um, <sighs> but i will never use you, you, you i know what i mean htc if anybody my friends there if you're listening you know there's people who want to help you but Man, yeah, it's it's horrible. What I don't you, get it. <laughs> what would be one piece of advice uh, for for HTC? For one, for one, hire John Oaks. But but <laughs> two, what would be like something? Do you think that Viveport could do or HTC? Because you know, and this goes to a bigger point. To be frank with you, like I am not convinced, or I don't feel reassured in the bright and hopeful future for ultra high-end VR. Like, sure, I like the fact that there's your Pimax and your Star VR and, like, these other, like, smaller players, but it makes me... It doesn't... It makes me feel... I don't know. It just doesn't feel right that you got all these like multi-billion dollar multinational corporations and they're not like investing in like the potential of breaking into the Uncanny Valley. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they don't want to break into the Uncanny Valley too quickly. Maybe they they realize that, you know, society's not ready for that shit. But I yeah. I am. God, give me the matrix. Like Yeah, I know. I don't know. It'll it'll come. I guess the thing, you know, if you- these businesses aren't charities, man. And right now they're having a hard time getting people to pay 400 bucks for a Rift headset. 
And I don't know. It's, you know, I'm, I'm not the right person to ask about why it's not doing better because, you know, I was like in the first hour of the Kickstarter and I've bought everything Oculus has ever made. I bought everything HTC has ever made. I even bought some Microsoft MR headsets. I think I have a problem. So, you know, I can't, I can't say why people don't buy it. I'm always mystified. I'm like, cause everybody I ever show a, a headset or get them to try VR, they love it. But I don't know what the, why people don't get it. But so I think they're just, you know, it's, it's just one of these cultural changes. It's going to take, a few times, um, a, f- a few iterations of technology to figure out the price point, the technology mix, get people used to it, and um, and I think it will it will come. It's just we're impatient because we know where it's going, and we're like, why can't we get there now? Because here's the thing. So once there are solidly, really, 5 million PCVR users on a somewhat regular basis, like once a week, there's 5 million users playing PC VR games. I don't think we're there yet. Then I think you could say there's, out of that, there's 50,000 that have a lot of money and would buy a really cool haptic suit. So if you can build a business around selling twenty to 30,000 haptic suits, you might have a business, and that could take off, and that could grow, and you could iterate on that. But we're not quite there yet. I think it's hard to do when there's, like, active users of around 1 million to 1.5 million, which I think is kind of realistic about where we're at. Yeah. I mean, they've sold more than that, but, yeah, you know, in terms of, like, what people are actually using on a weekly basis, I think it, it might even be less than a million. Mm. <laughs> I mean, because here's the thing. You, you know it's not good because nobody ever talks about it. <laughs> if Oculus was Oculus was proud of that number. If they were going, oh, my God, we sold 2 million headsets and 1.99 million people are online every day, they'd, they would talk about it. You, you know they would, right? Yeah. So the news is not good, and they're trying to figure out why. And frankly, I, if I knew the answer, I would tell them because I want it to succeed. But it's, I think it's just a, we're going to drag people through the learning process of what VR is and how fun it is and get to that critical mass and then it'll it'll take off well you know if if I, I honestly like I, I keep going back to this and it's 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 quite funny but like if they really were paying attention to the masses if they really were paying attention to like human primal instincts they would figure out a way to like break into porn like they would be they would they would like it would be like because honestly that wasn't that the thing that drove the internet in the first place and so my thing is like for me like i'm just waiting like what you're saying like i'm just waiting on that like mass market five million user base so that i can pounce on my own vr brothel idea you know like it's just it's just a matter of time for me but like it just seems to me like i don't know it's it's like i say it half jokingly but like i also like wonder like i don't know like couldn't they have like secret funds or something like you know you you have secret funds to fund politicians uh-huh. but you don't have secret funds to like fund vr porn studios like come on have your priorities straight two things how do you know they don't <laughs> that's true and how do you know what brendan and palmer and all those guys the, the the early guys are doing with their money there's a lot of vr porn startups out there man 
And who, I'm not saying that I am not saying any of them are doing any of it, but how would you even know? They could be. So, um, but the thing is, honestly, okay, I'm going to, I think you're, you're exposing a little of your personal bias here, Chris, that <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think, shall we say adult entertainment is necessarily essential to the adoption of VR. Um, certainly there's, you know, a lot of correlation between the internet growth and bandwidth growth and, and adult entertainment for sure. And I don't deny it. Um, and VR will definitely have a huge section of that, but I think, I think it's not necessary. And I think that the major players that we have right now, meaning Facebook, Microsoft, HTC, and probably Apple, um, won't want to go there. So it's going to be, it's going to be off to the side. Now, if you want to talk to me about that and the growth of web VR, I think that's an interesting play. So web VR being outside of the, the, the walled gardens and where anybody can put anything up, that's, that's where it's going to happen. And I think if you want to talk, if we, if we go five years into the future and we have another podcast and we look back at this time, because what we haven't talked about is I'm a big believer in web VR. I think the open standards, web VR, that will get us to this crazy metaverse wild west place that we all want to, that you and I want to get to. And the walled gardens that we have now of Steam and Oculus and, and, and if anything else is a stepping stone to that. But I don't think that, I don't think you can stop networked systems. I don't think you can. Um, so I think web VR, although it's super primitive right now by comparison and somewhat limited in what you can do, is, is where we're going. And um, you look at like what Mozilla's doing with hubs as kind of a rudimentary social network for web VR and interaction. Um, you know, you could look at it and go, ah, it's not nearly as good as High Fidelity or VR Chat or Altspace or anything else. But it's open, man. I'm, I, I follow the commits on GitHub and those guys, I mean, the, the whole community, they're, everyone's Everyone's pulling from that, and everyone's pushing stuff and asking questions and having discussions. There's a, well, there's a, a small core team, but there's a large virtual team, and there's a lot of things going into that every day. And um, I'm sure the other companies are doing that too, but you cannot beat – no development team on the planet can beat the, the aggregate intelligence of all the open source developers once they get their claws into something. Um, so I think uh, web VR and adult entertainment go hand in hand because it's outside of all the wall gardens, and that could be that could that could vindicate your prediction that that would drive VR um, consumer VR adoption. But I think it would happen in web VR, not through Oculus and not through Steam, even though Steam. Anyway, so, and, yeah. and I know just the right uh, Silicon Valley rich guy to hit up about this. Um, and it would be Elon Musk. He just tweeted today, uh, like, dude, he's he's like, send me your dankest memes, and he just broke <laughs> internet. Like, he just yeah, broke internet I, with like I saw people that. flooding him with memes, and he's like, and it's like, and now people are trying to like convince him to like genetically engineer anime cat girls, and, <laughs> and it's just like, it's just what reality am I in, <laughs> where? 
a CEO of a, of these major like companies so, is like yeah. having like these Twitter exchanges. It's crazy. So I'm thinking, well, I have a chance. I have a chance to convince him to convince him of a VR porn startup. Yeah, you could, man. You could. I he's an interest. He's obviously one of the most interesting people of our generation. Um, and I keep thinking about I, you know every time he's in the news, which is a lot. I, I'm just like so amazed at how productive he is. And then I think about you know he's still basically walking around. To the best of my knowledge, he's an actual human being with you know the same kind of uh, metabolism and biology that we all have. And um, I I wonder if he's going to just crack. I mean. Uh, how much can you do and how much can you take? He's been through a lot. And I think he just sent me your dankest memes, I think, was him being a little giddy from having a pretty good earnings report for Tesla, which was great. Um, you know, but he's launching rockets. He's doing neural interfaces. I know he's not spending 40 hours a week on each of them, or maybe he is. But, um, man, him getting into VR, would, that would be that would be interesting, man. Chris, do it. <laughs> this is your this is your new this is your new quest. You must find Elon Musk and convince him to fund a VR startup to do something crazy. Yeah, no. If if I can get him, like, hey, Elon, we can like this could be the chance to you know put to to, to, yeah, to solve overpopulation because you he's a, he's a man all about solving uh, humanity's greatest problems: climate change via electric cars. You know, just going to Mars you know, from saving us from giant asteroids like overpopulation, you know, could become an issue or is, you know, if it already isn't. And this is this is the opportunity to like to 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 curve that a little because you'll be able to like how how can anyone will how will anyone ever be able to compete with like a teledildonic device and on demand um virtual reality sex yeah that that will like that will blow anyone's imagination away and it just seems like um there's so many avenues like that's where like i think the haptic suits of the future are going to come from from like this industry that's going to like demand more and more and more connection um i don't know if you saw I don't know. a girl I think... named robohemian on youtube and she's like this girl who posted on 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 reddit and she's trying to create like this like um this like sensual body suit and it's like and it's like connected to like all these like uh, interfaces and, and UI and it's like and yeah it's super interesting I, I I I don't know if it was gonna become a like a teledildonic suit or something I don't know but like she but it was like yeah but it was super interesting that she was like trying to have this conversation about sex while building this interesting device and like people were blown away by like by the concept but yeah i don't know i and it seems like um yeah anything could happen at this point the simulation this version of the simulation we're in is a weird really weird one <laughs> yeah yeah well hmm. where do you go from there i think i think uh you know it's i think that People will definitely go there. I don't know. Oh, man. I just don't think. I think VR. Okay, here's the thing. And here, here's my counter argument. It's like, you know, we've been in VR chat together. We've been in other social networks together. And, 
you definitely feel that presence of the other person, even though they might be a giant cat or a robot or something else. And I think it, boy, I don't know. I don't know, man. You know what? I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm abdicating. I'm punching out. I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen on on that whole thing. I'm tapping out. You got me because it's just, who knows? And, and if, if it goes there, what, what's the impact? Will there be a market? Will anybody want to talk about it? I mean, some people will, but I think, I don't know. I guess I'm still, I'm old enough that I'm a fan of the good old fashioned way of doing things. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't have to be necessarily like viewed as like, um, I mean, yes, this could devolve into a black mirror scenario, but I also see it as a way to like provide simulation training for people to become better lovers in reality. Maybe, you know, like this could be like a this could give people this you know the the ability to like to to get real life training so that they're not they're less they're less awkward or less you know Chris okay you're old enough to know this lesson it's not about the haptics it's about the communication and the empathy and all that stuff that's what gets you where you that gets you where you want to go believe it or not it's not about as much the physicality as you might think. No, I'm just, I'm I'm just saying like this could be like um, this could be exactly about that. It could be exactly about like giving people a better um, feedback loop. And 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 this is what I mean. Like I, this idea keeps coming back to this podcast. Man, it seems like it's a theme here. But like it's a this idea that you would get real life human beings. Um, performing virtual reality sex acts um for as a service in exchange for again for money and peer-to-peer and i wonder because it's one thing to like be do vr porn with like a 360 video or like a or an animation but it's a whole nother thing where it's another human being and it's like and to me where where i see vr chat and like a lot of social vr so so you're talking about like actual people with you know motion tracking suits on yeah all right yeah yeah and and it's like and it's a whole different experience when it's actual people you know what i'm sure there's a market for it but not yet i mean (laughs) it's honestly i'm I'm sure there's a market for it but i won't think it would be i don't think it would be the way to go it's super small at this day and at this yeah yeah there's just there's just there's just the amount of people with like um but i i see it i see it being there like this like um i don't know this this hidden part of human nature where we're all somehow thinking about it you know figuring out how how we would do it but we're not really talking about it in public and it's it's just interesting i think it's 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 weird it's a weird thing that we humans do um and it's like and it and it for me it's why i think social vr things are important is because to me they're like a place for accelerated learning so or, i got a question for you uh-huh. and just to kind of like bring it up a few levels because you're saying you know basically there's this basic human need that you're trying to address with vr and i get that i you know we have and and in social vr and in full embodied vr and people talking i want to figure out if there's a way for vr although oculus is owned by the largest social network on the planet as far as I know, maybe WeChat's bigger, but um, how do we get people to communicate better? You know, like 
in a in a social not in a one on one conversation kind of way, but like, is there a way for us to? You know, people make these text posts and these memes, and we were talking about memes being kind of a, a thing. You know, Elon Musk saying, "Show me your memes," and 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 kind of almost being like an iconic iconographic way of us communicating. You know, it's like we're devolving into hieroglyphics, or maybe evolving into hieroglyphics. Maybe <laughs> hieroglyphics are just the ultimate destination of memes. But um, but the the thing is, is like, is there a way for us to to communicate? having a 3D space, a fully embodied 3D space to communicate our intent and our feelings and our arguments in, in VR in a different way, you know, like. Neural inter- interfaces, neural lace, tele- 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 telepathy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't even thinking about hardware, so I was just thinking about just the way of presenting data and, and information mm. and emotion in a, a 3D space. Maybe the social network of the future is, you know, my avatar making a case almost like a PowerPoint, but with three, 3D and my post is going to be like, I'll record something and then you come in and experience it and react to it. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, I, I think that, I think that would be, that would be something amazing if we could do that. Yeah. What I found interesting was that, um, for example, like there would be instances where I would be look watching a talk <clears throat> in VR chat or in alt space. And instead of clapping, you use the, thumbs up emoji or the smiley face emoji yeah because you don't yeah. want to and so it's it seems like we're adapting you know our we're channeling this again this this human thing that we do this appreciation right through through this ui through the medium of emojis and yeah it's just like um but is it the right way of doing it? <laughs> is it the most efficient way of doing it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's um, it's it's interesting. I was at a I was at a VR birthday party the other day. Ah, I know, I know which one. Yes, I couldn't, I couldn't go, but yeah, cool. It was, it was a lot of fun, and it was the first time I ever been to one. And we was, and I was having some of the um, the virtual reality cake. I was and and drinking some of the by the by the food table, and I noticed how the props were a great icebreaker like i was using those props there the like the the i was just eating the cake incessantly and just like making a fool out of myself and just like you know just having fun and 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 using the props as sort of a vehicle to break the ice and like have conversations with people um and yeah it just seemed like um in a virtual space where you didn't have that like it would be a lot more difficult for me to like figure out how to interact and so yeah uh, it's uh, there's a lot of like psychology that in in social vr that's happening that like you know i think is a treasure trove for like anthropologists and people like that yep i agree i think we're and um anyway so yeah i i think there's new new dynamics coming out with conversation there's new i think there's so much research that could be done in that space um and it gets back into you the physicality aspects that you were talking about too, but just um, you know it changes the way we interact and, and share information and and like we know it, it's a total experience, not just something you read and click like on and move on. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? Because I've just been reading, there's a lot of doom and gloom in the market right now, in the stock market, talking about a recession or even a depression. Mm. And and I'm not an economist. I'm not making any kind of predictions. But I was 
but I was kind of, I am kind of worried for VR um, if we have another big downturn right now, mm. um, because I think people are kind of, kind of worn out and um, on the, in the indie side. And, and if we have a huge downturn where people can't make money, it's going to be rough. And I'm worried about that. You feel, do you think they're worn out because they're just, it's just been such a marathon that it's just, it's hard yeah. to like, you're, you're stretching yourself thin over this long period of time where you thought that by now you'd be at least breaking even, but you're not. <laughs> hey, man, Superdata assured me there'd be 39 million headsets by now or something like that. Anyway, um, yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I, in, there's a lot of companies that raised money when things were good who, you know, they're, it's getting thin. And um, I, I, I worry that we have to round the corner here. We got to get to that critical mass within the next six to twelve months at the latest. Yeah. So um, you know what I I realized was it was that like you know now that I'm like um, having done this podcast for like five years, it's it's like um, it's funny like um, people had no idea like what was going on <laughs> and it was it was funny because some of the smartest people that were doing like that were sitting on panels back in like the early couple of years you know are now with no startups or are now like or are or like are are or or backed startups that don't exist anymore like it's interesting like how yeah. we don't know like any expert that shows up like especially me if you're listening to this podcast Don't fucking listen to me. Like, just don't. It does, whatever, whatever business advice you, you're trying to get, like, you're you're not gonna get it from me. But like, but w honestly, like, what I noticed was that like some of the smartest people in the industry that people were pointing at, and they were doing like lectures and going on stage, and 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 crowd would go around them, crowd around them. Yeah, like, um, you know, they're they're not around anymore. And uh, so, I know. yeah, it's interesting. Like. Who do you believe, John Oaks? <laughs> who, who, how do you know who to believe when when um, when you're looking for direction or advice in these in these trying of times? It's a good, it's a really interesting point, and there are, um, and I think, I think there's a there's a thread of the people who have survived. Um, you know, going to Oculus Connect the last time did like. Uh, I'm I'm one of the 50 people on the planet. There's a very small group of us that have been to all five Oculus Connection. Even smaller group, call them Sixers. If you went to the first SVVR meeting, uh, first SVVR conference, and I went to the first SVVR meeting too. But anyway, um, so there's a very small group of people, frankly, that have been to all five Oculus Connection. I was kind of surprised by that, and then I started to realize there's a lot of new people, and you see people that have been around a while, and it's like it's like they're war buddies. You know, like yeah. I think of you as a war buddy, <laughs> no, no disrespect to actual war buddies, but the, the point being like, we help, we all not, not all of us have made it. And I, and frankly, I haven't made it either. I've just survived. Yes. Um, and I think a few people have, have made it and have kind of like turned that corner and actually have VR businesses now. Um, but I think the rest of us are still, uh, you know, I, I spent the last couple of years basically, volunteering my time to the industry to kind of help do what I can to make sure there is an industry. And now I'm kind of in the mode of moving in, trying to figure out where I'm going to go to make a more direct impact 
um, on projects or people or do something like that. So, yeah, and I look back at the conferences and who's, who's spoken. Some of the people are still around, but they're not doing the same stuff. Um, some of the people who got a lot of money burned out, flared out. Um, some people are still, you know, as we say, cockroaching it out. Um, some of the earliest companies are still there, still trying to find their niche and that's awesome. But, um, but it is true that the ones who are the loudest and say, Oh, look at me, follow me, follow me are nowhere to be found. And, um, so that's a little bit disheartening, but in a way it gives me hope because, and I'll tell you the hopeful side is that I think when I saw all of that happening and these people grabbing the spotlight, I was like, oh, man, I'm too late, too late. The players are already, the players are already set. The game is already pretty defined. I'm just going to have to go along for the ride. But maybe they were too early, and maybe the game is still ahead of us, and there's plenty of opportunity. I definitely think now there's at least a market of VR consumers out there looking for stuff. And I think there will be a better market next year. Um, and the only question is, you know, will the market be so flooded with bad content it's hard to get discovered? Will there be, you know, an economic downturn that makes it very hard for adoption to kick off? But, um, but I think it's definitely here to stay. And I think maybe the analogy would be like, in the early days of telecommunication, there was modems, and you called up BBSs, and then there was like all these online services that call, that popped up, and that, and then the internet came along and like basically killed off all those guys. I still think we're we're still waiting for our internet curve moment for VR, and right now we're still maybe at the, you know, we're at the we're at the age where there was CompuServe and Prodigy and AOL, and there was a lot of slow growth in the industry and struggle, but eventually it's going to kick into the hockey stick curve. Um, in terms of who you should listen to, don't listen to anybody. Oh my gosh. It's one thing. Uh, yeah. Like you said, don't listen to me. Don't listen to you. Um, don't listen to anybody who tells you they know what the answer is because they don't. I think, you know, we all have honest opinions and experience to share and that can be weighed, but, um, I would never want anything I said to dissuade somebody from um, trying something new or interesting or going down a path or chasing an opportunity that I didn't chase because um, there's a ton of things to do in this space. Um, I guess the only thing I would say is to like maybe younger people or people that don't have a lot of capital to work with is don't think it's going to be easy. Don't think you can just put content out there. You're going to have to, it's going to be a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of budget for travel and promotion and talking to people, but, um, but it's a great adventure, man. I wouldn't change it. Mm -hmm. I could have made a lot more money doing other things. I could have bought Bitcoin, man, the money I put into VR, I just put into Bitcoin five years ago. We'd be having this podcast on my yacht, but. <laughs> But that's okay, you know, but I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know all the community. I, I really value the people I know in the VR community. So um, there's that value too. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it's a trade-off, to be frank. It's, it's, it's the, it, to me, it's the ability to say to myself, like, oh, well, I work in VR. Holy shit, this is crazy. I can't believe I work in VR. And it's like I'm, I'm, part, of, I'm part of a community that's building the future. This is, it's like it's not, it's not every day that you can say that to yourself. And I value that, but yeah. it's not, 
it's it, it it's not like um it doesn't come for free it's not a free lunch you have to pay pay a certain price and some people survive you know to we're, just we're, to, to just do that so yeah we're definitely you know kind of foot soldiers in that march because like when people think about the internet they think about mark andreas and making the browser and Vint Surf doing IP and HTTP and all that stuff. Those are the founders, right? Those are the guys who kind of, those are the Palmer Luckies and the John Carmacks and the Michael Abrashes and, and, and all that, that, that kind of made that happen. Um, but, you know, now we don't talk about them so much anymore. We talk about Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and those guys. I and mean, it's like, it, there's going to be these generational shifts of, of, that build on each other. And I think we're kind of, you know, Zuckerberg said that generation one of the rift or the Oculus product line is complete. And I, I think he's right. I think he's very spot on that this chapter is closing. And now the next chapter is going to be something completely different. It's, you know, valve valve is going to shake things up. Apple is definitely going to shake things up. Um, Oculus is going to is going to make their move into the mobile and try to get the mass try to kind of like capture that high ground of all the market and um it's going to be a different world. That's why I think like right now people saying especially analysts coming out and saying exactly what's going to happen, how many units are going to be sold and who's going to be doing what. They're crazy. I don't know anybody who should spend any money on any analyst doing any work in this space because they don't know. Uh, and I don't know how they can even justify charging for those reports because it's just, it's literally, they might as well just throw darts on a dartboard. I don't, I don't, their track record is horrible. Everybody's, everybody, every analyst in this space, I would like them, I would like somebody to show me one who was within any kind of reasonable margin of error for their predictions for anything that they've ever said. And it's just absurd that they, these guys have you know, okay, those are the winners. I guess now that I've, now that I've said yeah. that, yeah. those guys are the ones who made the most money on VR is selling reports that are completely inaccurate. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. So anyway. Um, yeah, it's and I think – and but do you think those people – had those people come out had it not been for the Facebook accusation though? Do you think that like – for me, I have a feeling – and maybe again, I'm biased here, but like I have a feeling that like – before that those t before people heard i don't know it's like um i don't i don't i know this wasn't unheard of in silicon valley for like these two like two billion multi-billion dollar acquisitions to happen but there was something about that oculus facebook one that at least from my perspective from the ground sort of my boots on the ground sort of point of view like i saw like the community culture change as that happened oh and yeah it, and it was like and it was like and it was and it was a lot of there was a lot of hype and a lot of hype people and i admit i'm a hype person i i love i love being hyped about things but i love being hyped about things that like that i that i've tried that i that i can stand behind like like i can't sit here and get hyped about magic leap i'm not gonna lie to people i'm not gonna like if i haven't tried it I'm not gonna hype people about the Oculus Quest. I'll like I, I, I'm excited for the potential, but I don't I haven't tried it, so I'm not, you know. And then there's a whole nother can of worms there. But the, but the, here's the thing, like, you know, like um, that's what I notice a lot of, and I wonder if 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 that acquisition had that effect 
of bringing in these crowds of hype men that were just going to uh, figure out a, a short oh, yeah. way I to mean, make money. For sure, after the acquisition, there was a lot of people who kind of came in who have left. They kind of came in, you know, wore cool clothes and and got up there and did their talks and they're gone, right? Um, because because it because they found out hey this is a tough industry and there's not a whole lot of money to be made yet and it's you know so I I think Facebook buying Oculus did two things it absolutely ensured that VR was going to happen because Oculus on its own would have needed to raise a lot more money and maybe they wouldn't have been able to and maybe they wouldn't have had enough money to make the Rift or maybe they wouldn't have had enough or maybe they would have been crushed by Microsoft or or maybe they would have teamed up with Valve and, you know, done a different kind of deal. A deal. I don't know. Hard to say. But they, they absolutely ensured that VR was going to happen, and they absolutely kind of locked in the pattern for how VR companies engage with the industry. You know, the whole walled garden thing, the curated content and all that. Mm. Um, so I, th- I think if they hadn't, if they'd, there would have been much more of a Wild West there would have been many more companies formed and failed and merged and invested in, and then the investment world would have been a little crazy. But um, I think on balance, although I definitely have concerns about how Oculus behaved in the past, and who knows, I'll probably have concerns about the future as well. Um, I think it's been on balance a good thing for VR because it's kind of given people a market to target and a product base to target. And and they have put millions and millions of dollars into research, which is going to benefit everybody eventually. It's a long it's a long process, but I I I got I I know and I I know some and I I believe more that Abrash's team and John Carmack's team have done a lot of research on VR and crazy stuff that we won't see for a while that will be pretty interesting. Hmm. And, be, and and might get to the place where you want it to get to, but just you know, not in a you know, in terms of a in terms of optics and that whole matrix feeling kind of stuff. I wonder if have we have you had the chance to have conversations with people where like um, where you sort of zoom out and you ask yourselves, is there a space? for virtual reality and society like is there is there like can we imagine a future where like virtual reality is like is needed is is there a need for vr like i guess is what i'm saying like does the society would a society as a whole by adopting like this technology like i mean i guess it's hard to say because we didn't have a say in like adopting the smartphone it just happened and here we are changed after it but like but it's but to me it's 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 sort of like um, it'd be interesting to to sort of like go up to a a, a community a community of people and and tell them like look you know this this group of people adopted VR and this is what happened to them their their birth rates declined their education went up they made more money and this pe- these people didn't adopt VR and look what's happening to them they're just <clears throat> they're yeah. stagnating so I do you do you do you see that like do you see what well, I'm trying to say? Like, is it where where we could make yeah, that argument? Definitely, I think that's the kind of thing that gets studied 
in hindsight rather than in the moment. Because I don't know if you can make those claims while it's happening. You have to kind of look back. But in terms of VR, room for VR in society, absolutely. It's going to take a while. And a good analogy would be the idea of text messaging. Okay? Um, when text messaging came on, see, I, I can remember a time before there was text messaging. You know, and you had to like, and it was kind of hard because you had to like use your numeric keypad and, and tab through the characters one by one to send a text message. It took a while to catch on. People weren't comfortable with it. They'd rather just pick up the phone and call. It was inconvenient. It was expensive. It was like, you know, 10 or 15 cents a text message. Crazy. Um, what we had to deal with. And then, you know, then the smartphone came out and made a lot of e Actually, there was a middle step there. There was keyboard phones, and then the smartphone came out with a touchscreen and made a lot easier. And now we've got, you know, it's pretty fluid. And now my 88-year-old mom sends me text messages more than she calls me. I mean, so that kind of social change happens. And I'm not saying that text messages is equivalent to VR, but that was like a, there was a lot of resistance to text messages when they started hitting. And it was a problem in kids who liked it would spend so much money that their parents would like get mad at them for sending too many text messages instead of using the phone like a regular person. Yeah. Once and, I brought my dad, uh, an $130 phone bill just from text messages in high school. And yes, I was, yeah, those. yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. You're, you're in that awkward age where text messages were still expensive and now they're basically free. So, um, anyway, the uh, so I think VR is good, and it will make room, and society will make room for it because we're talking over Skype right now. We could be meeting in VR right now. It would be better if we could meet with, in VR. And as it gets easier, people are and more less less friction to get into VR, whether it's mobile or PC based, whatever. Um, we're going to be popping in, into VR to have conversations with people and do things. It's, it's going to be easier to manipulate my information and my various screens and probably even my musical playlists, you know? But right now it's a little bit too hard because i got to fire up my PC and open up the right store and open up the right app. But as those resistance points go down and we get intelligent agents that I can talk to, like uh, or Cortana or um, Alexa or whatever, um, and I can talk to somebody in VR that's an agent that does stuff for me, I think it's going to, it's going to, people are going to start doing it more and more and more to maybe even more than the web. Cause the browser, if you think about it, is a pretty limited format, 2d limited to the screen that you have to go to. If you have VR or AR with you and you can interact with all that capability and content, um, I think it's going to be a powerful incentive for people to use it. What would be the killer app for you? What is the one thing? For you personally, that like the one application, game experience, whatever it is that you personally would keep going back to over and over and over again that hasn't been made yet? Well, I think, okay, so I'm kind of a news junkie, right? I, like, I, I surf Facebook and Twitter and Reddit and news sites to kind of keep track on, on issues that I like to understand better. I think VR could present a really interesting way to present news. Um, economic, political, social, current event type things in a way that hasn't been done yet. And because right now it's still our news, 
is still kind of based on the old newspaper metaphor of, you know, presenting an article with maybe some pictures. And then there's the TV news. So even video news is still kind of very much set up like a talking head, you know, reading the news stories that they've written to you. And I think news can be is a problem right now. You know, we've got we've got biased news and people don't trust the news. And I think Facebook even has an opportunity here since they kind of got a black eye on this using VR to give people access to unfiltered raw events like, you know, instead of having a reporter with a camera doing a narrow shot of a rally, man, put us in the rally. Let us really feel like what it's there. Let us feel the energy of the people, positive or negative, however you feel about it, you know? Like, if somebody's saying, eh, I was at a Donald Trump rally and there was 100,000 people there and really there was 10,000, or maybe they say there was only 1,000 and there was 10,000, you know, who knows? Everyone has a different take on the news. I think stuff like that, Hurricane Michael, unfortunately, Mark Zuckerberg got some heat because he he used VR to visit um, a hurricane site and they kind of, and he was having too much fun. So he kind of got a black eye with that. Mm. But still, I think it's valuable, man. I think that the people kind of miss the point. It's like, no, that's the kind of stuff I want out of VR. I want to be able to go and experience and understand things from a first person perspective without a talking head or a news corp telling me what to think about it. Now, I might want people's opinion to explain it to me or give me background information, and that's valuable. But that can still be, still happen. But I think news, experiential news i want man i want drones if there's something going on in a city far away like a protest or a politician giving a speech or whatever i think i want drones photogramming the whole area i want live 360 feed i want a tight feed on the speaker so i can see what's going on and i want to be able to be there if i you know like they're doing for the nba or, or um natural disasters i want to see how bad it is i guess you know not for the just so i can really understand it because it's really hard to understand those kind of things and i think that could be a huge transformative thing for us because um in a 24-hour news cycle especially here in america it's it's really kind of hurting our society because everyone's getting a feed of news that is kind of tailored to their biases and i i gotta include myself in that so i would like to know What's really happening? What's the first-person perspective of what's happening in the world? So I think everyone could get together and look at it together and see what's really happening. And I think VR is a unique platform where that could happen. What's your take on the Citizen app on on Android? That's I don't know how or when it got released, but I started using it like a month ago. And just hearing you talk about this idea just made me feel like, oh, this is, you know, this is where the citizen app that we're using on Android today is going to head into. Because I don't Have you heard about it? Uh, what are you? I'm going right now. OK, it's it's app. it's great. It's um, I, I um, and basically what I've started doing with it was. Um, oh, man, there's so many. What's. Citizen, citizen um it's on android it's like the citizen trinity mobility or is it spawn incorporated um it, that's gonna be that's gonna bother me if i don't tell you now but my phone isn't hold on oh, oh. professional podcast on the internet Woo. here you go let me let me and, uh, 
Actually, halfway through this conversation, I forgot we were doing a podcast, and I thought we were just talking. <laughs> this is how we do things. This is how it's better. Uh, okay, this is how Chris and I really talk. So it's, we're you're, people who are listening, if anybody's listening, this is how Chris and I really talk. So yes, we're, we're real humans. Unfiltered. We're NRVR, on, on, um, uncovering the humanity behind the technological cur- curtain in virtual reality. Um, so yeah, this is um, Citizen. I don't know the name of it. It's just like a... It's like a, it's like a, it's like a white. I think I got C it over like a black logo. And, oh, um, that's not that one then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, there it is. Kind of looks like the Uber app, but like, but with a C. And got it. yeah, it's dope. And basically, what I, what I kind of do it for is to like make sure that um, before I get on Bart, I make sure there's no one stabbing anyone in there, um, because it's like it's like live reporting from people who are. Um, watching crime or things happen and police dispatch, um, and so um, and so. I for me, it's been like it's been a really interesting sort of experiment and being able to see what's live happening in my neighborhood or in the direction that I'm headed in the city. So um, yeah, it's yeah, and 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 I think that like and one of the things that you can do is like you can also like report a crime and then you can start live streaming yourself while you know onto the app so like all the people in the app can watch you um and your idea of like again giving people 360 cameras to be in the middle of the action to live stream would be amazing and it, this is like and then in my mind i was like all right well what if you like what if you incentivize people to go out there giving them you know with some sort of blockchain exchange where you, people can get paid with like ethereum or bitcoin or something like that and i, and I thought about it was like you know what i need to ask john about bitcoin and blockchain because we were talking about that so much last year and it's sort of like i don't know it sort of petered down I what happened to blockchain oh that's a good that is a really good question <laughs> um I think, well, okay, so the short version is the run-up last year seems to be a case of market manipulation by the major holders of of Bitcoin. So um, you kind of look at that as like maybe a weakness of of Bitcoin in particular, but you look at the longer-term trend and you take out that that huge run-up, still offered a pretty good return over time. You know, obviously, if you got in a year ago, you're just you're miserable. But if you got in here two years ago, you're fine. Um, So I think Bitcoin is still um, moving along. I think Ethereum. So, yeah, I think Ethereum is, is has been hurt a little bit just by virtue of Bitcoin going down so much. But I think it's still there. Um the amount of there was a hype cycle, right? The amount of ICOs that came in were really overhyped and over invested in, and a lot of them are dead, and that's probably good. But there's a lot of really good ones that are still out there, still kind of plugging along. Um, so I think it still will. I, I still believe I'm still bullish on blockchain. Mm-hmm. There was a report that came out recently that said some government agency looked at. I mean, it was New Zealand, I think, spent like a lot of money looking at blockchain and couldn't find one case where alternate technologies weren't better. But I really want to dig into that um, because I feel like they might have some bias there because the the value that I like about blockchain is 
the decentralized ownership. And if you're a government, maybe that's not a thing that you like. Yeah. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't like decentralized ownership. So um, I've still like IPFS, uh, interplanetary file system, and that sort of thing. Uh, very interesting potential. Um, I think we're going to see, you know, some you know high fidelity coin project is is interesting. I don't. I still have fundamental concerns about how they did HFC, but I also understand why they did those. But I think it is a good start, and it might evolve into something more robust down the road. Um, and I would not, if I was, you know, speculating. I'm not speculating in Bitcoin. I still have pretty much the same amount that I started with, you know, two years ago, three years ago. Just sitting there, not very much. But I think people who are, you know, the hype cycle is over. So now I think the work can be done. I think that's the good news. Hmm. The hype cycle, the hype cycle is over. The the noisy people who grabbed all the stage and said they're, you know, like BitConnect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are gone. So now the people who are remaining are serious about it, and I think you can pay attention to what they're doing and look at them. Um, so I think you know that that's a good thing. Although there's definitely a lot of people took a lot of damage in the last year, but I think it'll be all right. Um, I don't think it's going to be the panacea we thought of curing everything, but um, I think for some things it's going to be a pretty valuable. Um, resource for some applications when you need distributed content and distributed ownership. I can't think, I don't know of anything else that does that. Yeah. One of the things that like, um, that made me personally just like a little bit hesitant about blockchain, like I still believe that's the future. I, I still think that's like, there's, there, it's a, there's a good long-term value in the technology and the, you know, in the pursuit of this industry, but I, I'm also, I also think that there's a human aspect here, a human variable that we don't take into account. And it was something, and I think it, it's, I I based it on something that happened to me where like, um, I remember back in like 2012, 2013, maybe 2012. Yeah. I was, um, with a lot of rich people. And at that point, I was reading a lot of Reddit and I had found out about Bitcoin as, and I was starting to read headlines and articles about Bitcoin, but that was the extent of my knowledge. And I was excited about it and I would bring it up because I was doing some like contract work. I had some connections there and, and, and like, and it turns out that like, um, five years later, they reach out to me because they thought I was some sort of Bitcoin expert, you know, they, they, and, 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 and this is the thing, like I look back and I think about, it, I was like, holy shit, these people were caught up in the hype cycle and I could have easily taken advantage of them because they had no idea what Bitcoin or blockchain, how even, how it even worked. And like my, my, the extent of my knowledge was minimal, frankly, like it was almost non-existent, but they knew even less. So I could like, it was, it was going to end up being a blind leading the blind kind of scenario. And it sort of, and it almost feels like, and I, and I, and it made me wonder like how many scenarios are there like that? Not just in blockchain, but in virtual reality where you have, you know, rich people who want to invest in these industries and they sort of just get led 
by people who are really good at selling but not building things. And I guess that's sort of like it, it, that sort of goes like in the other counter of the balance when we talked about you know balancing product development versus marketing. That's one area where you have marketing uh, you, when you skew a little too much into the marketing where you like oversell and you under deliver. Um, and I and I think that's uh, for me that's that's my concern with blockchain. Like I feel like there's a lot of like a lot of hacks, a lot of people who are like faking it, and they're faking it a little too much. <laughs> Yeah, there's a certain there's a certain there's a certain faking it where like you're like all right, well you're not you're not you're 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 just trying to collect the paycheck. <laughs> you're not even trying to get better. Yeah, uh, it's weird. I'm, sh- I'm sure that's true, and I know that happened to a lot of people in VR, right? I mean, uh, as well, just bringing it back to that. I mean, I know there's there's a certain breed of of person who can ex- maybe they're just con men, but yeah. um, you know just exude confidence that they have the answer and um you should give them your money and then it'll be okay and i guess i guess that's just something people need to be aware of that 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 can happen um yeah and uh so blockchain is still a thing i think ai is still coming all this technology is gonna you know enable each other right i mean i don't i'm not anti-ar either i think ar is gonna be big Mm -hmm. um i think I think Apple, frankly, is going to crush the AR space. And, and I mean, it's so and quiet I, though. Like, is that just a, because that's how they are? But it's like, it. I don't know. It just, again, it's weird because I don't know. I just wish I knew more. <laughs> that's all. And it's like, and we based, and we based. I don't know. We tend to base a lot of what the future is going to happen or predict the future based on like, yeah, iPhone, iPhone killed it, and they were super successful. But like, you know. I have no, uh, there's no way to predict whether they'll be, I mean, yeah, they'll have power and they'll wave that power and they'll be, yeah, but like, but I don't know. It just seems like, God, if I just, if you just so showed something, you know, like it'd be great to know what you're even working on. What are you even thinking? I don't know. It's Well, yeah, they don't need to tell you and they don't, they can wait. They have, a, they could wait another 10 years and still, still do it. But, um, but I think they're I think they're going to make a move sooner than later at this point, like within a couple of years, maybe even a year. Yeah. And um, and because now Magic Leap is out, because Hololens is out, because there's you know North came out and there's these glasses going out. Um. And they they did the watch. They they bought all these AR companies, and I think when they do, it's going to be an experience that. Even though I'm not a super fan of Apple corporate, I you can't help but love their products, right? They do their the iPhone is an amazing piece of equipment. I don't like how they manage their product life cycle. I don't know how they manage their maintenance. I don't manage don't like how they manage their customer support. I don't like their walled garden. I don't like the fact that they extinguish competitors from within the app store. There's a lot of problems I have with Apple, but I will not deny that their product design is second to none. I mean, they really do a good job. And so I think they're going to come out with an AR thing because AR kit is way better than AR core, hands down. AR core is nice. AR kit is better. And they're going to do things that we have only thought of, and they're going to make it look really easy, and then people are going to flock to them as a development platform because they're going to sell a lot of them. 
and they're going to make billions and billions of dollars, and then everyone else will copy them. Hmm. That's what I think is going to happen. There's my there's my prediction. I mean, the, pa- the, pa- the historical pattern is there. I mean, you can the- buy my analyst report for four hundred dollars, <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be as accurate as any other analyst report you get. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's yeah. Can you imagine? This is going to be a weird. This is a weird question, but like, can you imagine? Can you like? Can you honestly imagine a future where VR doesn't exist? Uh, no, I can't. No. Um, even even I, if a recession or depression happens, like like that's like that's just like really bad. I don't know. I mean, I I don't want to imagine a future where it doesn't exist. But like, I'm I'm trying to push myself. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to get a. I'm trying to go into a, a uncomfortable territory here because I don't want that to happen. But I also think about that. Um, that I don't know that, that anything's possible. Okay, at the same time. bad things that I think could happen. Here are here are bad things that I think could happen. I think Facebook could come under pressure to just shut down Oculus or spin it off, and um, because if they get and if if they start, ha- they're doing really well. But if they start having a downturn or a shrinkage in users or have political f- feedback, whatever. I mean, right right now, Oculus is costing them a ton of money. So if they ever get the feeling if the if Zuckerberg gets ousted from the board, which there are some rumblings about that, um, there's there's a lot of things that could go there that could set Oculus free. I know it's not in their plans, and anybody who works within a hundred miles of their campus would deny that. So I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I know anything. It's just it's a thing that could happen mm-hmm. in the spectrum of things that can happen, and that would be an area where. I think we would see a, a, a strong chill set over the market. And there might even be a time where people stopped making PC VR based stuff, but mobile VR will be here to, is here to stay and it'll keep getting better because phones are getting better. And the components now for all in one are available. So all in one VR is going to be there. And then the next step would be from all in one would be, you know, tethering an all-in-one device to your PC to get an extra power boost or graphics boost, which could happen already. Um, so, because all the because all the pieces are there, I don't think it'll ever go away. But bad things that could happen would be um, some kind of weird regulatory, like GDPR crackdown, where there was just no way to do VR safely without getting sued by the government. Hmm. Um, in Europe or something because of all the inherent personal data that you broadcast when you do VR. I mean, I'm all for privacy, but I think GDPR could be a, a, a slippery slope for some of this stuff. Um, it could be, it could be, uh, you know, just that the other thing that could happen to VR wouldn't make it go away, but make it turn down is that if, AR gets so good that it basically becomes VR. And I know that, and I kind of want them to merge as well, but I'm talking about the idea of glasses that put digital content into the real world versus a, a digital environment that you can bring real world objects into, right? So VR right now, you kind of mask off the real world and you replace it with a digital world and, mm-hmm. Like with the Quest, you can sort of bring in video feeds and map your real world into it. But with AR, you're looking at the real world, putting digital stuff over it. If that gets so good that you can basically 
simulate the entire world through your AR glasses, then isn't that kind of VR? And maybe VR headsets go away, but they kind of merge into this new thing. Um, the other thing is, you know, the bad thing would be is if it just becomes a niche market, that it never quite gets that, that consumer breakthrough 10 to 20 million users um, that a market needs to be truly consumer um, and becomes kind of this thing, you know, like eight track tapes or super high end stereo or Hmm. something like that, that, that only if that, you know, a few million people really love, but it's kind of a a niche hobby that's going to hurt content, but it will be fine. There'll be people who write content for it. Um, at what point do we decide? Is it does it get decided, and who gets to decide? All right, well, shit, we tried. Now it's we're just gonna have to work for focus nobody, on it being a niche niche product now. Yeah, nobody gets to decide that per se. The big decisions would be, you know, what Facebook management wants to do with Oculus, what Gabe Newell decides he wants to do with the Vive technology, HTC my perception is they're just kind of hanging on and hoping. So I don't think they're, I don't, I don't think they're going to, they're, they're a great company, but I I don't get the sense that they're a powerhouse. I get the sense that they're hanging on. And so, um, I like them. I like the people who work there and I like the product. I use the product probably more than my rift. Me too. Um, so, you know, it's great. And they've done a lot for the community as well because they're really generous with development kits in the early days. Yep. So, you know, I have to kind of give them some loyalty for that as well. But, um, but at the same time, I don't think they have the strength as a company to drive the industry forward. I think they can, they can go along with the industry. Then there's like Samsung and Apple and Google and for Samsung whatever. Samsung just gave up? Is, is that, or well, the Odyssey, right? The Samsung Odyssey headset. That's, I don't know. <sighs> Seems like yeah, I don't know. Samsung's a big company. They can do. They can do it. They could. They could figure this out. They haven't yet. I don't think the Gear VR did what they wanted to do, and I, right. I think Odyssey maybe missed. I'm not sure, but but they have the resources to kind of reload. I mean, they're they're basically Korean Apple, right? In, yeah. in some ways. So they got they got uh, they have the resources to reload and keep trying and do a lot of things until they right, find the right formula. And um, so I'm not going to write them off. Google, man, I don't know. Like I keep hearing these rumblings that they have something amazing in the works. I haven't seen it. Haven't really heard anything about it. What, but, sort, what sort of amazing thing could could there be working on? Well, who knows, man? They they have labs and stuff. But That's like, true. Heard. I gotta say, I mean, I, Daydream is cute, but it doesn't do it. It doesn't do it for me. They yeah. need. The, it's basically Gear VR level good, um, which isn't that great. And so they need to, if they want to be a player in the VR space, in my opinion, they're going to have to like make a higher end VR experience. And in a way, like maybe this is a good analogy. You know, like Formula One, they have these race cars. They spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on to get like one tenth of a mile per hour faster, or maybe you know one a little bit lighter in the engine block, and Everyone goes, oh, that's so impractical, but it all has all these trickle-down effects into the consumer models that we all drive around. Um, I kind of feel like maybe that's where some of this VR stuff will go. Like these big companies are going to spend a lot of money researching these super high-end concepts 
and hopefully some of that will trickle down into uh, consumer VR. Yeah. But in terms of VR not existing, it will always exist because now we know how to do it and there's enough of a community to support it. So even if tomorrow Oculus and HTC say, yeah, hey, we're shutting down, we're not selling another, another HMD, in a way, I think that would spawn like an amazing grassroots um, VR manufacturing community. Do you think Sony would go away too if they saw Oculus and HTC leave? Oh uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, somebody told me that Sony, although they sold a ton of PSVRs like and couldn't even two give million them or something. Yeah, that that they were kind of like, eh. And you know, I guess when you're a company Sony's size, maybe at a corporate level, I think it's a phenomenal success, right? Yeah. But I maybe have it. you, it's great. Yeah. And maybe that that reporting could be wrong, but I also kind of saw it from Sony's point of view. You look at the size of the company and the size of PSVR, and it's like a rounding error. It's not very big. Yeah. But, um, but hopefully they, they keep the faith and, and keep pushing forward because I think they got a winner. PSVR is a great VR headset for yeah. a family. Um, I think the content is good and it's getting better. I think the new version, um, the older version was good. The new, the slightly revved version, uh, is a lot better. I get, I get the whole rundown. Reverend Kyle on Twitter was going through this decision. <laughs> I was following that thread and they, they, he got somebody to walk through the, the improvements and it's pretty significant. So Sony will be there, but yeah, but so if the big companies stop playing, I think the technology exists now enough. Chinese manufacturers have made enough stuff that people would just start making their own HMDs and it would still continue. It would be like, you know, hot rod cars. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Cause I, I, I want to be, I want to talk about China, but yes, please continue. Please continue. Just, Oh, but just to, I was going to answer your question, but you know, you're saying like, could it go away? Yeah, but I don't, I kind of don't think that's likely. I think it could be, um, actually, frankly, my bigger fear than it going away is that we have one big player. Like, I don't want Oculus to be the only VR company. I want HTC and Valve to keep making improvements in their product. I want Sony to keep making improvements in their product. I want Google to keep trying to make a product that people will buy <laughs> because I want there to be diversity in the marketplace. And the, the fear I have is that Facebook is so powerful, Oculus products are so good, and, and they can hit that price point that everyone wants, that they're going to squeeze everybody out of the market. And I know that's what they want, but that's not what I want. Hmm. Yeah, what do you think about... Um, I, I, I was looking at some headlines from China having putting a lot of money, like billions of dollars, into the VR industry. And I wonder if you think that'll have like some sort of... Um, you know, butterfly yeah. effect or affect what's happening on this side. Butterfly, jeez, or tyrannosaur effect. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. Okay, so when people say China puts billions into X or Y or Z, it's not quite the same thing as like investment in a company here. It's more like they've allocated that budget to be spent. It's kind of like. And so they're not actually spending that money. I guess that's the thing. Is that, is that and I, I remember seeing that article too, and I don't remember how many it was. It's not quite. I don't think it's quite the same as them giving out checks in that amount to developers and engineers and stuff to start working. It's more like they've allocated a potential budget 
to give to industry to pursue these goals. So it's not quite the same as how we think about investment here, I believe, although I'd have to reread the article carefully to, to know that. Um, I think uh, it will definitely... <sighs> It will definitely have an impact, and I think it will definitely open up some positive things for the industry in terms of access to components, although, honestly, it makes me a little concerned, especially given recently what happened with, like, the super micro servers and all that. Um, they had spy chips in them? Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine? You know, like if we start getting, I mean, we already do get all our VR headsets from China, basically, or at least pretty close to it. And it does concern me a bit if there's not some kind of security oversight on that stuff at a very low level, high level, low level, thorough level, to make sure that we're not feeding our biometrics and our conversations and our use cases for for vr to some somebody anybody yeah, i don't want people to mind control me <laughs> like like honestly like I, I we make fun of like the tinfoil hat people but like china is a legit sort of place where you want to be worried about this sort of shit like brainwashing and like straight up like yeah. you know you know re-education and like like you know not letting you freely access information like that's that's legit and for them to it's have even like, worse than it's even worse than that it's not even that it's your reaction to information so you're in vr in china and you're and they if they have these chips in place and you and you're reading an article that talks about something that the government did or said or whatever and you like subconsciously shake your head in disapproval they know what you just read because they were tracking your eyeballs and they know that you shook your head in disapproval that's scary to me, yeah. right? <laughs> because, and that's just a very basic, that's something that anybody could do today with the technology we have that we use and don't even think twice about it. Um, you know, head movements is, is easy, but with eye dilation and, and eye tracking, there's even more privacy concerns. So, yeah, man, I think, and you get back to our homeland, Facebook is going to track all that stuff too. You know they are. Yeah. They, it's just in their DNA. You just have to assume that, that everything you do, Facebook is going to try to collect and collate and, and use to give you advertising. And not even necessarily for a bad purpose on their part, but you just don't know where that data is going to end up, obviously. Yeah. The one, I just, uh, the one thing I'll never let go for me, was, I think I was in college when this, or I uh, just graduated or something, but there was a big scandal where it was like, um, where it was, it, they, they, it was found out that Facebook was experimenting, doing psychological experiments on its users without them knowing. Huh. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, and it was like, so it was like adjusting your feed based on what emotions they per they anticipated you would get from the the feed that they would get you. And they were like, and, you know, they, they were tr trying to set up all these algorithms for like, you know, figuring out behavior based on like, all you know, all the data they were they were inputting on people and and it was really like yeah it was weird it was weird <laughs> and it like and it and it and it's always like it's always been in the back of my mind you know it's always been in the back back of my mind like yeah you were you're you're willing to do that you know 
five years ago, you know, imagine what you'll be wa- be willing or able to do when you have, you know, deeper, more um, visceral data than 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 ever before. And so, yeah, it's 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 worrisome, but it's not at least for me, it's not as bad as like. You know, China become like selling this to other countries and weaponizing sort of this state control manipulator system. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be that would be weird. That would that would suck. You know, that would. Well, be... I mean, they obviously want to do that to their own population. They've already kind of introduced the social capital concept. Yeah. You know, and and that is going to work. It's going to work really well for them. Unfortunately, so now. If you take it to the next step and they talk about VR and, and all the data you can capture from VR, they're going to build into the system and it may not be an advertised feature, but, you know, would they then say, hey, we're going to sell you this technology to a company here in the U.S. and how would we ever know who's going to, how, I mean, I don't know. It's It's a... I'm I'm very bullish on it, but I'm also like I I want that's why I guess here's the thing that's why I want there to be lots of players in the VR space because I want another player to look at that tear down their HMDs and go hey they're those guys are doing something shady over here and we're not doing that and that'll be you know that'll be a good thing the market policing itself will be the most efficient way of doing it I don't trust government oversight to do it and I also think that monopoly or oligopoly um, will not serve the user's interests very well. So I, I definitely want there to be a healthy, diverse ecosystem of people fighting for market share because that'll help serve, keep the market honest and safe for the consumer. Yeah. I think if I, if I had to choose geopolitically on which headset to wear based on what government I want them to spy on me, I would choose either Taiwan <laughs> or Japan. <laughs> so either HTC or Sony, you know? I, yeah. I mean, like, and 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 if there were lesser two evils, NSA or China, like all right, fuck NSA. But like, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting how like people in the VR industry were all, were all really hyped about like the possibility and the potential of VR, but we really don't speak about like the privacy implications. Because for one, we we I we don't really understand. <laughs> At least I don't understand the implications of you know. This this gradual loss of privacy and um and I yeah I just don't and it's and it's we hard need, to wrap my mind around it and I think that's why we get taken advantage of that we don't we need it. somebody needs to invent virtual virtual private networks virtual VPNs that that obfuscates the user's input at the client and then unobfuscates it and decrypts it all the way into the 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 end server the end client so that the i don't know i can't even figure out how that would work well, well, well let's break it down or just it's, it's it's midnight right now i'm just thinking like it's midnight and i'm tired so i'm probably getting a little loopy but the point <laughs> is i guess the, the what i was thinking is you know talking about what you're saying how do we how do we solve this problem and you can't because there's this there's this there's an operating system there's drivers and all these things need to know what you're doing with extremely low latency to give you the experience that you want. And at the same time, all of that information that is required to give you that rapid eye tracking and fluid motion and fluid visuals is exactly the information that leads to your biometric fingerprint being 
detected and potentially used to monitor you. And what I was envisioning for a second, although I kind of already don't think it's possible, is some piece of software to basically intercept those signals and change your biometrics up and encrypt it somehow so that it can go through and, and be safe except for the people you're or the application you're interacting with would receive it. But I don't know. I just, I, you know, you're still dealing with your PC, so you're going to have to unencrypt it at some point because your PC has to know the orientation of your head and has to know the inputs and it has to be extremely low latency. And I don't think that's conducive to a VPN. Yeah. Can you just to break it down a little easier, like help educate the masses? Like why? And and this and I'm at a point where like for me I see it both ways. And not that like I agree with. Um, people younger than me but like i noticed that a lot of people younger than me don't care as much about privacy and i want to figure out like yeah how right. do you make them care <laughs> I, I <laughs> what have, do you do and why is like how do you communicate like dude this I is why teenage, it matters i have teenage kids and i'm always on them about privacy and they're like privacy <laughs> it's like something old people worry about and i'm like really and it's kind of true, and I, you know, your own culture blinds you. But to me, privacy is like essential to freedom, and they don't feel that way, and that frightens me. Um, you know, they're careful. I think my kids are careful about what they share online, and they know they kind of. And I think that's part of it is they kind of know that everything they put online or anything they do in public could be filmed all the time, and. Um, that and so they're careful with their behavior and what they post online, and I thinking I'm thinking that's bad, you know, because I was able when I was a teenager, even in college, you know, I was able to do things free from video recording. There is I did some crazy things, and so did all my friends. That if there was video of it today, it you know it'd be embarrassing potentially. Mm-hmm. But but nobody had cell phones back then when I was in college because I'm that old, but. Um, today these kids don't have that freedom. Everything, every picture they've ever had taken of them, candid or formal or silly or every meme they post will be with them for their entire lives. And that, and so maybe privacy is dead. You know, people have said that, but maybe privacy is dead. And, and, and unfortunately I think when privacy dies, I think authenticity dies. Because you'll never know if you're getting the authentic reaction from somebody or the authentic. You'll never know if you're really dealing with somebody on an authentic level because they have to be guarded. They can't ever let their guard down. And huh. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's that's. How would I be okay? So this is this is interesting. How would I consider? How can I continue? How can I, as a podcaster, communicate authenticity in an age where, like, it seems like. What you're saying, it's it's, well, dis- think, it's disappearing. Yeah, I know. I think, well, you you put yourself out there. I mean, like, I, we've had this conversation for years. Like, when you were trying to define what the podcast was, would it be like Gonzo, you know, talking about adult entertainment and, and the drug culture and VR and all this stuff? Or would it be like serious industry analysis and... You kind of got to decide, man. You got to decide what you're going to be and, and, and do that. So you're, I think your authenticity comes from the fact that you talk about things that are not 
politically convenient. I won't say they're politically incorrect or correct, but they're not. They're kind of topics that people would tend to shy away from because they're controversial. And you also aren't really pushing an agenda. There's lots of controversial media out there, but it's usually aligned with some kind of an ideology that people are promoting. And um, I think you come across, your authenticity is that you're always asking questions. And you probably have a bias. We all do. But um, I think, you know, people will hear what you have to say and, and the conversations you have and realize that they're not driven from an agenda. And that is... I think that's easy to detect. So I think people will, will respond to that. Mm. I put but, the and, agenda of I don't know. So I, so I don't know anything. Seriously, I don't know anything. So so help me understand what, what the things that I don't understand or don't know about. I mean, that's... that's the heart, yeah. Not knowing is the heart of wisdom, man. I'm telling you. People who know something, they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. There's that's the thing. There's so there's that scary thing about human nature. It's the older I get, the more it scares me. The fact that there's so many there's the the realization that God, there's just so much to know. There's so much to know, and I only know this like small sliver of things. And 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 there's people out there with like millions and millions of people following them. And they're telling them that, like, they know, that they know what's going on. They have it all figured out. Follow me. And it's, like, scary when you're, when you're, that's so, when you that's see so, that. That's comforting to people, though, right? I mean, yeah. frankly, that, that describes our president. Not to get political, but he comes across, he's so confident. He's got it all figured out. He's got all the answers. Just do what I want you to do. And that, that resonates with people, man. They want somebody to tell them. Because everyone's lost and confused. You know, and and not sure if they're paying attention. They're not sure, and they're a little worried, and they're just looking for somebody to tell them it'll be okay. Yeah. And so, um, it's it's a much more honest place to be, not knowing and accepting that you don't know, but trying to figure it out continually, yeah. than just settling in on an ideology that you go, "Yep, this is it. This is right. Everybody else is wrong." That you know, I understand why people get to that place, but it's not really a place where you're going to make any kind of. Um, useful discovery or or attain useful insight about yourself or anything else in that place yeah. speaking of but, vulnerable people it's something i just you just brought up and sorry for interrupting but i think this is a relevant somewhat relevant tangent is my friend in nicaragua was telling me about his um his other friend who was a priest and how he was coming back to him sort of depressed and telling him like man dude i feel i feel so bad for these people because i'm taking all their money and i don't even believe in god and um and but but he's like but i feel bad because like because i i don't believe in god but like i know they rely on me to like be someone to speak to and like to lean on and to like rely on and so like he's he's feeling a purpose he's he knows he's fulfilling some sort of purpose but like the fact that he has to lie about to himself (laughs) you know to achieve that purpose was was kind of interesting to me and um yeah and it's the sort of like it's like um and it's and it's 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 interesting because yeah people when they're vulnerable um you are um when you're vulnerable it's easy to uh yeah follow someone that has confidence and has you know and has the path figured out for you you know any yeah so yeah it's um yeah it's super interesting Sorry for interrupting. Where, where, were, where, where were you? No, man, it's, it's fine. Um, well, let's see. 
uh, we were uh, we were down a rabbit hole. We, we're not even talking about VR anymore. <laughs> talking about privacy and and VR and yeah. And how do we like how do we communicate to people that it matters? That was my thing. That was just the only thing. Yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, once they don't have it, they're gonna want it. I think. Or you know, the other thing is just to, just because I don't know. It could be that um, culturally, maybe privacy isn't important to the human mind. We're social creatures. Maybe privacy is a... Uh, you know, you think about it in nature. Do, does, does, does a chimpanzee and a chimpanzee tribe have privacy? I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that. But like, just something mm-hmm. like, you know, and does, is privacy essential in nature? And I don't know that it is. So if that's the case, if you if you go from the argument that privacy isn't something that is essential to healthy relationships in nature, maybe privacy isn't something we need as a human. Although I really like it. I really like privacy. Me too. Um, so, you know, I like to be able to, like, sometimes have my own thoughts and my own ideas and have a, a private conversation between friends that doesn't, you know... This podcast is like the opposite of privacy, but, <laughs> but you know, that's okay. I'm, I'm pretty public about my, my views anyway. But, you know, there's other things I wouldn't want to share. So, I don't know. Um, maybe privacy will grow into being like a hierarchical value rather than absolute value. Hmm. Like, you know, you'll have very limited but intense privacy, but you won't have privacy about anything else. I can't, I don't like that, but I kind of feel like that's where we're going, you know? I've been hacked so many times this past year. I mean, my Experian leaked my records, Facebook. I was part of that Facebook hack that on um, both, on the 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 political one and the other one that they just said where people were using tokens to get access to your data. So, like... My credit, my Facebook history, you know, every and I've, a couple of my credit cards have been hacked. So I just figure I'm on the grid, man. I'm in I'm in every hacker database on the planet. So might as well just enjoy the ride. <laughs> man, yeah, it's yeah, and it's like, and there's nothing the government oh, yeah. can do to protect and, you. And my yeah. house got broken into, and they stole all my like, you know, tax papers and social security papers and all that. So like, oh no. That's that's out there too somewhere. So yeah, you're gonna man. have to change your name. Do you think you're gonna have to end up changing I'm, your name? Yeah, I'm gonna change it to Chris Miranda. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I guess I ha- I'll have to change my name to something else. Maybe I'll change my my name to John Oaks. That that will screw him up. <laughs> oh my god, John. So we're starting. To, let's start bringing things down to a close. I have a last couple questions for you. Um, okay. So so one of the things that. Um, that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like keep this podcast in perspective of, you know, the, the larger picture, the really, really big picture. And so in th- with that mindset, um, what I want to do is to inform you that in the year 2038, you're going to get an email from me and it's going to say, Hey, John, here's the message you sent to yourself back at, back when we recorded that one podcast in October in 2018. So go ahead, John, <laughs> give yourself, what message would you give yourself in the year 2038 when you're listening to, 
to yourself? Mm. Don't be dead. Um, <laughs> hopefully, good. 20 years. Uh, no, my message to my message to myself today. Um, listen to your instincts. Get out of Silicon Valley real estate because the market's going to crash and there's going to be a long-term recession worse than 2008, and you're going to wish you had. I think that's that's the thing I'm wrestling with right now. Um, so the other thing is. Um, Dang, Chris, this is a tough one. Um, so I guess the thing, uh, so if we want to talk about VR in 20 years, or like what, what I would tell somebody, tell myself now about VR, how is it going to be in 20 years? Um, I think I would say that it's going to be such an integral part of everyday life. We're not going to think about it as a separate thing. Like we don't think about using our f- smartphones and the apps and the stuff as engaging in a particular brand of technology. It's just a thing we do subconsciously. You, you know, immersive tech is going to be pervasive. It's going to be with us from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed and maybe even when we sleep. I think in tw- 20 years we're going to have non-intrusive brain-computer interfaces and um, very, very high-res digital realities that are going to be nearly indistinguishable from physical realities. And um, I think if I was going to remind myself of what's important is to remember that even though we're making these amazing digital realities, that real reality is essential we need to pay attention to our physical selves and each other as people and the outside environment more than ever. And it's two things. I think VR is going to help us save the environment. It's going to reduce travel, make things more efficient, do a lot of other things that are going to help the environment. But I also feel like we, as, as VR pioneers, we also need to kind of like appreciate the appreciate nature and appreciate the physical humans that are around us in our local area and the world and take care of them so that we can have this nice digital future. I think if we do that, we'll build, if we can build a nice physical world, we have a good roadmap to build a really nice digital world. And I think we're, you know, we're walking down a crooked path where it could go dark. We could go dark cyberpunk if we're not careful, but I think there's an opportunity for us to go very positive um, if we if we if we do that. I think it's possible. Um, and and go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I think that's it. I think you know, thinking of myself, you know, is because I'm in my fifties now, so twenty years like puts me up there. So I was trying to think like. What, what am I? What am I going to see in a twenty-year-olds of twenty years from now? So the people who are are born today, what are the what kind of world are they going to be engaging with, and what kind of tools and resources and obligations are going to be on them twenty years from now? And um, I, I think we're going to. I think this generation that's coming up, because they're going to be so connected and so tuned in and so enabled with technology, as long as the whole system doesn't collapse, that. These are the true, true, true digital natives. Um, we've talked about digital natives 
but I think these kids have been brought into it. I think the kids that are coming up now have are being born into a mature technical technological infrastructure and are going to do things in ways that we haven't imagined and that includes VR and AR and the real world. So I think it'll be an interesting 20 years. As long as we don't cook ourselves a global warming and start wars. <laughs> yes, ex- yeah, exactly. And it, it, something that I, I'm reminded of a meme that, that um, it's going around uh, of a, a photo of like, I think it's like a bunch of scientists or people gather, gather around a, a, some sort of conference and they're, they're and the PowerPoint chart. They're like, you know, they're pointing out like if we have sustainable cities, clean air, um, he- healthy, healthy people, educated people, um, then we'll have a great environment and we'll have a great future. And then there, and then there's a there's someone in the background standing up and saying, "But what if, but what if we create a, a better future for nothing?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've and seen it's, that. It's like, um, yeah. I just, I just, yeah. I just hope that we're like uh, as a as a commute cumulative, we're we're realizing of, you know, we're realizing the the power that we have when we stand together um, and we figure out really really tough problems like like climate change you know that's going to require a lot of like you know hand, he, heads heads being put together and figuring out all right well what's the best way to minimize this problem and 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 get people out, the fuck out of the way now i there was a, a report that said some something about like yeah we have like um 12 years or something before um we have you know major catastrophic changes beginning to occur and it's like um and that to me, oh, you know, it's actually, yeah, I read that those, those changes are going to happen. Like, here's the thing. And I don't want to go down another whole two hour podcast with global <laughs> warming, but like, you got to think about it like a gyroscope wheel that we've been slowly spinning up just because we stop. If we just like, everyone just took a break and stopped producing carbon and, all the other things, the methane and everything else that the global warming is still going to continue for a while. It's like this engine that needs to like this boulder that's rolling down the hill. It's not like we can just stop and it's going to cool off. It would have to like keep going and do whatever it's going to do. And we can put less energy into it. And eventually it'll like kind of slowly bleed off energy into infrared spectrum into the outer space. That's really the only way heat gets out of the atmosphere. You know, there's not a whole lot of ways. It's not like we got, any place for it to go. We're surrounded by a vacuum. The earth is in a giant thermos bottle. And if we put heat into it, it's very difficult to get heat out of it. Heat dissipation is a problem in spacecraft because there's nowhere for the heat to conduct it. They can only radiate it in the infrared spectrum. Basically there's no molecules or, well, there's some, but not a lot of molecules to absorb that heat as kinetic energy to transfer it and move it elsewhere. So if we have heat and energy, we're stuck with it until we either sequester it in the in in the crust or grab grab the carbon out of the atmosphere and trees and other things to let more infrared energy out, which will help. But man, yeah, we're this this boulder's rolling and it's going to roll for even if we stop today, it's going to roll for thirty to forty years. <coughs> so yeah, we're, yeah. we're I think we're screwed. <laughs> we're well we'll have virtual reality we'll have great virtual reality that like 
you know, when 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 it gets too cold outside, when uh, when it gets too hot outside, we'll we'll all be living in underground cities, and I will have virtual reality worlds to and uh, networks to explore forever and ever until the the planet the planet cools down or something or we yeah yeah i do have i do have hope that you know we we kind of heated up the atmosphere and the oceans on accident that if we get scared enough and put our mind to it and elon musk has a nice long life we'll figure out an engineering solution that will rapidly cool us down or at least provide heat sinks there's different theories i've heard about you know like can't really get the energy out of the earth that quick, but there's definitely places you can store heat. Like you can pump it into the ground. Maybe you could pump it into some very dense material. You could maybe transfer it to kinetic energy and do work with it. There's a lot of things we could do. Getting the carbon out of the atmosphere is a problem. I think it's actually doable if we pay attention to it, but right now nobody wants to do it because there's no money for it. So I don't know. My 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 high idea, because I came up with this idea while stoned, um, was to use an army of drones, just hundreds of thousands of drones, and just like seeding the planet with like millions and millions of trees, just like you know going buck wild on the Sahara and just turning it into a giant Amazon, you know, point two. So, so you should read this book. It's a fictional book, but it's it's a really beautiful story called The Man Who Planted Trees. And it's about this one dude who just every day plants 100 trees over like 50 years and creates a forest and amazing things happen. But it's an interesting book. And it, it, it is true. And it we have the resources to reforest a big chunk of the planet, but somebody's got to be willing to do it. And it's a big job. It's not like something you or I can do. Yeah. I mean, it, it would take, you know... A million people to do it. Yeah. Billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of drones and a lot of seed and and all kind of stuff. A lot of jobs too. I don't know. It just seems like it's a, it's a framing of our priorities and it seems like once it's super clear that our backs are against the wall and hopefully it won't be too late or maybe it already is, then we'll do something meaningful. And well, you know, when they talk about being too late, it's, it's going to be too late for, um, uh, for Asia, for people like, in Bangladesh, thank you, people in Bangladesh. I would like to apologize now because they're not going to be there in twenty years. Yeah, and it's just it's horrible. But I don't think I don't unless they build giant walls. I don't even think it's feasible. I don't know what they're going to do. Lots huge sections of Indonesia. I mean, you've seen the flood maps. I think the Bay Area here, San Francisco, is going to have an interesting couple of years. They'll figure it out though because they got a lot of money, but. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's not going to ruin everybody's lives. It's just going to displace people without money. It's going to cause a lot of famine, a lot of death, a lot of misery, a lot of wars. That'll lead to economic hardships, and people are going to be uncomfortable. But um, I don't think it's the end of humanity unless, you know, other things kick in. But it's definitely going to be bad. Yeah. I mean, some I, I, I used to – or I'll, I'll – I think I'm tr- I'm going to try to avoid getting conver- getting too deep into conversations about climate change with people cuz like there's been a couple times where people like uh just would outright deny it. And for me like climate change is personal cuz like my mom in Nicaragua and my little and my younger brothers like 
you know, I have to figure out honestly, like how am I gonna how am I gonna get money to buy land and higher ground for the next twenty years for them, like like how do I help them do that? Because they're obviously based on uh, prior experience during the nineteen ninety eight Hurricane Mitch storm, like they're they're clearly not in a good spot, and it just seems like um, you know for me it's a personal thing. Like I I I I, I have to care about this because. You know, it's going to affect me personally. Here in California, like the last thing, the only thing I, I think we have to worry about is forest fires and earthquakes, you know, but that's not climate change related or actually the forest fires are. But like, but that, but we're not going to become refugees, you know, because of them. So, yeah, it's weird. It's, 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 it's tough when I, when, when it, when it, when I bring, when it gets brought up and like. So. And disclaimer, I'm not a climatologist. I could be completely wrong. You could be completely wrong. Everything could be fine. It could be that global warming is 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 a myth. I don't care. You know what I say? Let's let's have a cleaner environment anyway. You know, and like I, I get what I'm trying to say is like for those for those people that deny it. You know, kind of like that cartoon you were saying about like, mm-hmm. hey, okay, it's a myth. Let's just make the world a better place anyway. Why not? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's, um, yeah, it's weird how we humans are like, uh, we disagree on the simplest things. <laughs> yeah. I think it's power. I think a lot of it is power. We're, 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 we, we, we like power. We like to hold on to power. Some of us like to yeah, hold on to power. At least. I totally agree. I think it's really hard to get into power. I think it's really hard to get into a place of authority and then, at, then people, and you, and you spent your whole career telling people, you know, exactly what to do and exactly what's going on. And then you get there. And I think your natural instinct is to try to hang on to it because it's a hard place to get to. Mm-hmm. And so admitting that you're wrong or that you have to change things and that you don't have all the answers, that's just something that leaders typically are not willing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and it's not going to change for a while. <laughs> so here we are. Um, John, is there anything uh, that people should know about you or that you're working on that, like, um, yeah, that you'd like to share before we start bringing things to a close? Um, I don't know. When does this go out usually? Like uh, tomorrow. What? Yeah, okay, yeah, well, yeah. I'm trying to be more prolific. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, I'm speaking at XRDC next week on Tuesday. Sweet talking about demos and things that you shouldn't do and things that you should do when you give a demo. And it's more, it's not even really about how to hand somebody the HMD. I talk a little bit about that. It's more about the mindset and how you engage people and how, and kind of what I was talking about earlier, how you take each one of those people and make them into a fan rather than just somebody who took a demo. Um, then, uh, yeah, then there's that. Then we're planning a Beat Saber tournament that we should be announcing pretty soon down at SVVR. It's going to be wild. We're going to do like a VR festival, like Beat Saber tournament is going to be the whole thing, but then more of like a demo area thing that's coming up. Um, I'm looking for different uh, projects to be involved in. I'm doing some editing of a book on VR. I'm writing my own book, but I'm also looking for different kinds of things. So if you're an indie company out there that um, didn't get freaked out by me and Chris talking and want to talk about VR and business development type stuff. Um, hit me up. I'm easy to find on Facebook and Twitter at John virtual is on Twitter and John Oaks on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's it, man. Awesome. All right. Chris, well... I always get way into the weeds with you. So I apologize. I hope that like 
you should edit this down. You should edit this down to like 30 minutes. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is, two and a half. This is an education Ooh. we're providing people. We're providing people an education. Nobody's, nobody's going to listen to us talk for two and a half hours. Dude, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Some people All right. like, you, some people actually do. So it's um, If you're listening to this, if you're, a, if you're a human being who's listening to this, two and, two and a half hour mark, um, tweet me at John Virtual and said, I listened to the end or whatever, some, some form of, of that. <laughs> then I will be duly impressed and I will figure out a way to recognize your awesomeness. And <laughs> Hopefully hope, and there. The, the three <laughs> people, four people. John, it's been a pleasure. I'm going to include all the links in the show notes. Uh, make sure uh, to check them out. And um, yeah, I mean, I, this is this goes without saying. You, sir, are a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. Always have been, always will be. Um, I look yeah. forward to the next time we speak on the show. I We need to do this more often, honestly, because we're barely scratching the surface here. There's so much more to talk about. And um, yeah, it was so much fun. Well, thanks, man. I always enjoy talking to you, Chris. So uh, anytime, anytime, just give me a call. We'll, we'll talk it up again.